Cinema Oddities, Late Night Movies with Rob, Ben, and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally these projects gel, most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Ben. And Sandra Templeton, I love you and I will marry you. So Ben, I had uh, to break for. Are you Sandra Templeton? I guess I should ask that first. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not. I'm Bendra Templeton. I'm actually her long lost brother. Okay, as long but as you're not I'm, Don Price, her fiance, I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, I'm I mentioned it last time we talked, but but I'm surprised that you didn't choose to go with. I'd rather be lunch than a coward. Oh, that that is definitely a good one. Um, the other ones I had, so I had that one written down, actually. I, I, the other ones I had were, I'm a footnote in that story, um, and I said, this isn't how I go, and the truth is, I was never a reasonable man. I like that quote. And, uh, and also, I have, and I haven't seen a customer so depressed since that elephant sat on the farmer's wife. <laughs> Uh, but right. I had to go with the Sandra Templeton line. I had to break form a little bit. My my quote doesn't start with an with an I'm. It starts with a name, Sandra Templeton. But I had to go with that quote because I love that line. I love that scene. I love this movie. I'm giving it away right off the bat. We're in the Unexpected Love series. It's Rob's turn for Unexpected Love. And my choice is Tim Burton's 2003 romantic vignette-filled, like, southern gothic movie, Big Fish. I fucking love this movie. And I love Sandra Templeton, and I will marry her. Ben, right off the bat, did you notice, absolutely beautiful in this movie, did you notice who plays young Sandra Templeton? It's someone we've talked about before, but I don't know, I'm actually interested to know if you picked up on who it was, because in the movie we've seen her in, she looks totally different. Uh, she looked familiar, but I didn't... I didn't pick up on who she okay. was. Okay, it is Allison Lohman, who we know from the Patreon as the, I'm doing air quotes because I don't know if we should spoil things on the Patreon or the movie, the air quotes daughter of Nicolas Cage in Matchstick Men. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. Awesome. Yep, and like I said, totally different in this movie. Very much like, you know, the um, what is supposed to be 1960s near pinup girl, more just like, you know, good girl type of thing, uh, where in... In Matchstick Men, she's just, like, completely... What, doesn't he have, like, even have, like, shorter hair or something in Matchstick Men? I was trying to remember, but I didn't look it up. Yeah, yeah, she is, like, a pixie cutter. Okay. Yeah, shorter hair for sure. Uh, yeah, but that's that's her. She's uh, She is uh, very good-looking in this movie, and this is, what, three years after Matchstick Men, I think? Something like that. Uh, but Sandra Templeton, I love you, and I will marry you. I fucking love this movie, Ben. Um, so I think... I, I actually want to start off by saying, because I did it to you last week, uh, when you picked Frozen, we started discussing Frozen, I was like, Ben, this was a great choice, because I totally would not have expected you to love this movie. What do you think on the reverse side, now that you've seen Big Fish? Ben, are you, you know me better than the Sidham audience, you know me longer than the Sidham audience, but does this fall into unexpected love for Rob? What do you think? Well, I, so you, you talked a lot, there are things that you said, I had thoughts, uh, we're going to go back to some of them because I can't let them go. Okay. It's the kind of guy I am. I've been watching too much SVU. Uh, for whatever <laughs> reason, I don't, the the whenever you said unexpected love in this recording, I was like, damn, rape. You know, like that's unexpected. Love is the wrong word for it, but it's uh, anyway. So I don't know if I've made that joke yet in this series, 
this think is so. the rape series now. Um, oh, that's no good, Ben. This movie's <laughs> too wholesome for violation in general. <laughs> uh, that that being said, uh, yeah, no, we can forget that. Uh, just the dumb shit that runs through my mind. Um, <laughs> is this something you I expect you to love or that I would have expected you to love? Uh, no. No, it's not. I can see there are parts of it that I can totally see why it's it's your jam. Um, some of the absurdity in it and things like that. But uh, but overall, no, like the, the general story, the love aspect, it's uh, stuff you normally shit on. So, uh, no, yep. this is not what I... Uh, and this, and I should also say this is the first time I've seen uh, this movie. I did see it as a play once, but oh, you saw the um the the play adaptation. I've only read about it. I've actually never seen the play. Yeah, I don't know if it was like the Broadway play adaptation or because it was done by like a local theater. So okay. like, I don't know if it was good or not. Um, <laughs> in terms of in terms of plays, um, but I I do vaguely remember it. The movie actually I think was better okay okay specifically because you know carl was bigger in the movie ah yes matthew um i have it written down somewhere matthew mcgory i believe is the actor who plays um carl the giant matthew mcgory i left out an r um while we're on the topic of him i want to get back to you know this being unexpected love for me but so he plays carl the giant um he's been in a few other things uh i think I think, if I'm remembering correctly, I'll, if not, I'll do a correction. I think he's in the Freak Show, like Freak Show Carnival episode of the X-Files. Hey, kids. Matthew McGrory is not in the Freak Show episode of the X-Files, and I am upset because this is the second time in a very short period of episodes that I've misremembered something about the X-Files. Uh, but I was thinking of his appearances as not only the giant in HBO's Carnival, but also in the carnival-slash-freak-show episode of Malcolm in the Middle. In real life, of course, in this movie, they do, like, actual, you know, some forced perspective to make him look massive, and there's some, you know, actual, like, you know, stilt work and stuff that he does. But in real life, get ready for this, Ben. He was seven foot six. And his feet size, U.S. feet size, 29 and a half. <laughs> oh, my God. I looked that up, and I was like, holy shit. Like, like I was at um, some store, like, some some store that wasn't just shoes, but, like, had shoes. I can't remember the name of it. And they, I think, had size 18 just on the shelf, and they looked like clown shoes. I can't fucking yeah. imagine 29 and a half. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Uh, my cousin, who has pretty pretty big feet. I've always thought he was giant. I think he was like 14. Okay. Like 29 and a half. That's, we're still talking double the shoe size. Yeah. 29 and a half is a little less than um, triple what I wear. I wear 11s. (laughs) That's like 30. Yeah. And and other thing I want to say about Matthew McGrory is uh, unfortunately, um, due to his deformity, it's a, it's a, I don't think he really had, you know, like, he's not super deformed. Like, I feel like when we see him in this movie, that's what he looks like in real life. He's just made to look taller. He looks like a cool dude. Like, we'd hang out with him, you know? Um, But due to whatever made him that tall, he died at the age of 32, three years after this movie came out in 2006. Um, Yeah, it's really common for people with, like, giantism. Yeah, yeah. So so with Matthew McGrory out of the way, I love Carl the Giant. Carl the Giant's a cool dude, you know? I love that he's kind of, like, so 
upset, like, in the story when he's, like, you know, I'm sorry, but I got so hungry, basically. Um, but then he's <laughs> yeah. also still, like, skeptical of uh, Ewan McGregor, where he's like, you're just trying to get away from me, you know, that type of thing. I'm like, this is a smart dude. But, so, this movie... Of course, I think what you said, Ben, is the main reason that this is Unexpected Love. And whenever we do these Unexpected Love series, you know, whenever, this is the second time, um, I always kind of, like, ask my friends who are not on this podcast when I'm picking these movies, when I list some movies off to them and I'm like, you know, oh, I really, really love this movie. Do you think that's crazy? And this one just hits the nail on the head all the time. And, um, you know, most of the time it's, like, people who know this movie, I go, oh, I love Big Fish. Like, what do you think about that? They're like... The romance movie? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, that movie's like really boring. And I'm like, well, that that makes it expected love for me because I like boring movies, but I don't think this movie's boring. Um, But I love that this is a romance not only between the husband and wife, so um, Edward Bloom and Sandra Templeton, but I also really like that it's a love story between father and son, you know, Will Bloom and Edward Bloom. We'll get to all of that. Um, but the other reason that I think it's unexpected love for me is because it's a Tim Burton movie. I've been on record on this podcast many places. I think in rants, I think in episodes where it comes up, I really dislike Tim Burton. I think he actually, he's not really a good director. I think he's a good, like, concept artist (laughs) i think he's not even like a good cinematographer like he has great ideas but then they never really come together i think this is his best movie by far like by a mile and you know i'm including the ones that are almost universally loved which i also really like like peewee's big adventure beetlejuice um i kind of like edward scissorhands like Edward Scissorhands, I'm okay with. Um, Ed Wood is actually a really good movie. Um, And Mars Attacks, I actually really do enjoy that one as well. Um, But this is his best movie by far, and it's kind of in his era, 2003 this came out, where Tim Burton's starting to become known, you know, worldwide as, like, a hack or washed up. Like, his best days are behind him. Um, This is his movie right after 2001's Planet of the Apes, uh, which Zach and I have covered before. Uh, the one where Mark Wahlberg plays a scientist, and you can see on his face for the entirety of the two-hour movie that he thinks his character's a nerd and wants to bully him. (laughs) And this is right before 2005's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, um, which I do not like, and Corpse Bride, which I I think is an abhorrent movie, uh, because it it is Corpse Bride, I've said it before, I'll say it again, it's Tim Burton finally trying to make a stop-motion movie to, to, you know, recover the fact that he did not direct a nightmare before christmas um and it's it's the shittiest thing i hate i saw in theaters i was like angry when i saw corpse pride in theaters um but that that's my little tim burton corner ben of the ones that are universally loved so the early tim burton so like peewee's big adventure beetlejuice edward scissorhands you know those are all like the really really early ones do you like those movies have you seen them like any time recently or i feel feel like most people see beetlejuice when they're a kid you know what i mean uh, I definitely saw Beetlejuice as a kid. Okay, uh, okay. I don't really remember the others. I can't, I can't, with any degree of honesty, say I'm a Tim Burton fan. Uh, but I also don't think I have enough experience to say that I dislike Tim Burton. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, Beetlejuice is a good movie. I, I will, I would watch Beetlejuice again. You know, if it was, uh, it was a VH1 movies that rock showing and uh, back on the days of cable and tv and i used to watch it a lot on there um fun fact i don't think i've ever told you this before ben but the original title for beetlejuice was house ghosts tim burton just wanted to call it house ghosts (laughs) 
And the studio was like, this is a bad title. Do you have anything else? And before he came to Beetlejuice, he pitched at them, jokingly, scared sheetless. <laughs> uh, and then the studio was like, that's better. And Tim Burton was like, no, no, that's a stupid name. And they eventually went with Beetlejuice. Um, but I always love scared sheetless for a movie where, you know, the actual two ghosts in the movie, not Beetlejuice, the what uh, Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin, they like put sheets over themselves and they try and like haunt, you know, Winona Ryder, that type of thing. But scared sheetless is a great title. <laughs> That is a great title. Was the Beetlejuice cartoon based on the movie or vice versa? Or are they both based on something else? The Beetlejuice cartoon was like, it's it's not like directly based on the movie. It's more like inspired by the movie. Because I know that like in the cartoon, Beetlejuice is more of like a goofball comic character. Where in the movie, he's like a malicious comic character. Like, Beetlejuice is a bad dude in the movie. Like, he's the villain, and he's also only on screen for, like, 25 minutes or something. Where I know in, like, the cartoon, he, like, has a Hawaiian shirt, and he's, like, partying all the time or something like that. I, I never really watched a lot of the um the the cartoon, but that's of the era, I think in, like, the 90s when um the Beetlejuice cartoon was around. That was the era where, for some reason, a lot of studios were like, let's take a movie character that everybody likes and just make it a kid's show. Like, there's a RoboCop cartoon. RoboCop is, like, an aggressively hard R violent movie. And for some reason, they're just like, yeah, just make him, like, a little police officer dude, you know? And he's just gonna have adventures. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I I would go and watch the... um the cartoon, but I, I've, I should check that out. So I want to keep going a little bit more with the preamble to Big Fish. Uh, I... I not only love this movie a lot, like a lot, a lot, I have it very high on my list of favorite movies of all time. I actually have it, this list changes, you know, whenever I have the thought. I have this right now at number eight on my favorite movies of all time. It is sandwiched between number seven, Freaked, which Zach and I have covered, uh, you know, Zach agrees with me, I think that's the funniest film ever to be made. Um, And it's right before, Ben, number nine, Southland Tales. <laughs> um, yes. I have Searching at 11. I wanted to let you know that. I don't think we've, I've ever told you that. I really fucking love that movie. I've seen that movie now like 10 times. <laughs> oh, I, I know you love that movie. Um, and so uh, the other things I want to mention, I want to get this right off the bat before we get into the, the context of the movie or the actual discussion of the movie. Uh, this is an adaptation of a novel by Daniel Wallace. Um, I've never read it. I've never even looked up. I was thinking about doing it for this recording, but decided not to because I wanted to focus on the movie. I've never even looked up what the differences between the movie and the book are. Uh, Maybe one day I'll read it, uh, but it has never happened since all the time I've known about this movie. And I saw this movie in theaters. I wanted to see this movie in theaters. The trailers made my 11-year-old self want to see it I saw it, I loved it, I got it on DVD when it came out, and I've only grown to love it more since then. I think I loved it when I was younger because it was so different compared to what else, other things I had ever seen. I think this might be, and I have no way to go back and check this, this is probably 
my first movie I've ever seen that was structured like vignettes. Okay. I don't think I saw Pee-wee's Big Adventure before this because that's a very vignette movie. I don't think I saw Forrest Gump before this because that's a very vignette movie. And don't worry, everybody, Forrest Gump is going to come up later. I have a lot of comparisons between this movie and Forrest Gump. But I just love this movie when I was a kid. I've grown to love it more as I've understood it more, the emotional aspects of it, things like that. And, you know, and here we are finally getting to talk about it on the podcast. And I knew this was one of the ones that, you know, I've had on my list that I've wanted to talk about for a while. But I knew there was really no other place to bring it up other than an Unexpected Love series. I think it kind of fits in with Frozen, like you discussed uh, last week, because I don't know where the hell else Frozen would have been a topic for, for a week, you know, that type of thing. Same thing with Big Fish. Like, I never want to do a Tim Burton series. I never want to do, like, a Ewan McGregor series. I mean, maybe, Ben, you and I should do an Alison Lohman series. She seems like a, a kind of fun actress, you know? <laughs> yeah. But now, with that out of the way, I think everything else I have is related to, uh, you know, the uh, the tiny or the details about this movie. I, I got to know, Ben, now that you've seen this, you've already told me this is the first time you've seen it. What are your top line thoughts? Did you like it? Did you hate it? Did you think it was boring? Because that's something I hear from uh, people I talk to a lot. Did you, uh, you know, what'd you think about the romance? What'd you think about all the things so far that I've said I've loved about it? <laughs> I mean, overall, I didn't. I thought all the parts that weren't the vignettes were boring. Um, okay, so all the um, Billy Crudup with the with the father, old old Edward Bloom stuff. Yeah, yeah. In, anything that wasn't you and McGregor, I was just like, we don't need to see this. Really. <laughs> Ooh, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> I just I don't know. Like I, I didn't I wasn't real invested in his relationship with his dad or like the fact that he felt like his dad was lying to him. Like I just wasn't. I didn't care about it. Okay. Was, like gotcha. I mean, your, your dad. Sounds like a liar. He probably is a liar, and you're upset that he is that he's not ever telling you the truth. But he's <laughs> he's a liar, and he's a, like I get it. If my dad was a liar, I'd probably want him to tell me the truth. But like, at some point, I'd probably give up on that. <laughs> you know, like sure. oh, my dad's just a liar. So I don't know. I guess I just wasn't really invested in that. But the the stories were fun. I mean, the to some degree, like they were they were at least kind of interesting with uh, the various mishaps and adventures that Ewan McGregor uh, goes on. I, I especially liked the scene with Norther Winslow in the bank. Oh my god, that is one of my favorite fucking moments in cinema history where they see each other and, you know, and, uh, Steve Buscemi is, is Norther Winslow, and he's like, Edward? Edward Bloom? You know? Oh my god, they have that little reconnection moment, like if you, anybody's had that, you know, if you see someone you haven't seen in a while, you go, wow, oh my god, you know, like, oh, it's so good to see you. Uh, what are you doing? I'm a traveling salesman. What are you doing? I'm robbing this place. <laughs> like, the way it drops is so perfect. <laughs> Edward? Edward Bloom? It's me, Norther Winslow. I don't believe it. <laughs> I was astonished to see the greatest poet of both Ashton and Spectre all the way out in Texas. I want you to know, when you left Spectre, it opened my eyes. There was a whole life out there that I was not living. So I traveled. I saw France, Africa, half of South America. Every day a new adventure. That's my motto. Well, that's great, Norther. I'm happy for you. And what are you doing now? I'm robbing this place. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have to agree with that. 
Uh, and then, of course, that followed up by the bank being like, there's actually not any money yes. in the because we're broke. Yes, and then I'll have to put the clip in because I didn't write it down. But in the in the car ride as they're like in their getaway after the bank robbery, it does the narration from uh, Edward Bloom. And he's like, so I spent the next good part of time telling Nora Winslow about how real estate taxes have gone or whatever the fuck it is. And it's, yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, funny. He says something about like fiduciary <laughs> responsibility yes. or something in it. Yes. I definitely also thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go to Wall then, Street, Edward. That's where all the money is. <laughs> yeah. Woo, yeah. There's got to be close to $400 here. And that's just from the drawers. Let's see what you got from the vault. This is it? The whole vault? I'm afraid so. Edward, it's got your deposit slip on it. Well, I just didn't want you leaving empty-handed. Look, there's something you should know, Norther. The reason the savings and loans... Are not I told Norther about the vagaries of Texas oil money and its effect on real estate prices. And our lax enforcement of fiduciary process have made savings and loans particularly vulnerable. Hearing this news, Norther was left with one conclusion. I should go to Wall Street. That's where all the money is. I knew then that while my days as a criminal were over... Edward, thanks for the hand! No, this was just beginning. That, that was a good scene, Steve Buscemi, sure. this might have been one of my first introductions to Steve Buscemi. I, God, I might have seen Armageddon before this movie, because I think Armageddon was 99. But, I mean, Steve Buscemi's so fucking funny in this movie. The whole scene where him and uh, Ed Bloom are in... Um, uh, Spectre before the whole party thing and you know he's like I've been working on this poem for what two years or some long amount of time <laughs> no, he says 12 years 12 years yeah okay I found it in my I've been working on this poem for 12 years there's a lot of expectations I don't want to disappoint my fans grass so green sky so blue Spectre is really great <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and what is it that Ewan says some, something like Something about it not being very long or whatever, and then he's like, "That's why you don't show any blood." Yeah, completed work. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh god, oh it's so good. Um, yeah. Okay, so you like the stories more than the emotional part of the um, uh, the father and son stuff. Okay, what do you think though about the um? Because I knew we were, we were going to have to get to this. We've talked about it before in a few instances. The one that comes to mind is when we discussed it in Chasing Amy for Ben Affleck's birthday. However many years ago that was now. Um, maybe one, uh, one and a half. Um, when we discussed Chasing Amy, we talked about like the um, the the you know regression of the rom com, and we talked about how there's a lot of things where it's like most of these rom com movies are basically like guy likes girl, guy asks girl out, gets rejected, spends the rest of his time like trying to win her over, and we were like that's kind of weird, you know? That's that's like not what should really happen, but that's what a lot of movies do. I do acknowledge that's what this is as well. Like, Edward Bloom shows up and goes, you know, I love you. I've spent the last however many fucking, you know, time of my life trying to find you. Now I'm here. Um, Getting one detail a month, like yeah, you like Daphne. Yeah, yeah. And and then he's like, so let's, you know, let's fuck, basically. And she's like, oh, well, I'm already engaged. Sorry. And then he's just like, I'm not taking no for an answer. I don't really have an answer for you, Ben, or our cinema audience, why I think this works for me so much, where in other movies that are like this, I'm just like, this is creepy and, you know, 
offensive almost. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel you. But does that work for you in this movie, or did you find it creepy? That whole kind of like, you know, what he does. There's the scene with all the daffodils, the, um, you know, Sandra Templeton, Templeton, I love you and I will marry you. There's the classroom scene where he like puts something on the projector or whatever. Um, the teacher in that classroom scene is the author of the book, Daniel Wallace. I do know that. Oh, and okay. all the stuff he does. How did that come across to you? Did it work for you in the movie, or were you just kind of like, oh my God, Edward Bloom, like, take a hint, you know, like she said no? Like, what do you think? To be honest, I, I was a little checked out for some of that just because of, of how I ended up having to watch this movie based on the timeline that I had to actually get it watched. Okay. Uh, I had to watch it piecewise um, and so, or, or piecemeal, however you want to say sure. that. And so I was just like uh, – I was a little bit – I think that got interrupted for me. So I didn't see it straight through as him just getting rejected over and over again. Okay. Um, but I do think that like part of the reason that it, it didn't come across is – is overly sketchy. It actually has to do with the lighting in the movie. Like it's very bright. Like oh, all these yes. scenes, very so it's like, very oversaturated for sure. So like the movie is just telling you, this is great. You know, this is fine. Yeah, this uh, is positive. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And so you know, that's. I think that that went far enough, whereas, like, sometimes in these romantic comedies, they give you kind of a dour scene where it's like, oh, man, this guy got rejected, and that's upsetting. And yeah. it's like, yeah, that's time to walk away, you know? But this, but with him, he was just like, I'm a fucking idiot. I don't know anything. I didn't go to school at all, and I just spent months being <laughs> exploited by a carnival man, and I might as well be a retard, you know? Like, I it just... I. <laughs> I is I don't know maybe that's too intense but that's basically what's going on here is he he's uh, uh kind of a fuck up I guess uh sure I know I know where you're coming from yeah I mean the movies you're right about the whole school thing is that I mean we do get the implication that he went to school because he played on the school sports teams um, yeah yeah high school yes high yes high school we also get the implication that when he was in bed for three years on that weird bone control machine that he read everything in the encyclopedia you know. <laughs> right, that's true. Well, all the way up to G. Yes, yes, we knew we have confirmation that he got to goldfish. Yep. <laughs> yeah. He um, that they would get bigger if they had bigger cages. Yeah, or the dower scene that you are referring to, it makes me think of, you know, like in Chasing Amy when Ben Affleck and Amy, not Amy, whatever the, her name is, I, the one with the horrible voice that I can't remember for some reason. Like, they're screaming at each other in the rain, and the movie's very dark, the movie's at, like, literally pouring water on them, like, it's a very sad scene, and Ben Affleck's like, just fucking love me, you know, he's, he's like, yeah, preparing yeah. for Batman, you know, 15 yeah. years before the fact, you know, or probably 20 yeah. years before the fact. Stop being a lesbian! Yeah, <laughs> yeah! Take the penis! I love <laughs> the penis! Yeah, yeah, I, I remember. That, yeah, this movie makes it much more, and then the whole daffodil scene, like, the shot of, you know, Edward Bloom just daffodils everywhere else like there's no in that you know overhead scene you don't see the end of the daffodils like the the frame yeah. of the movie is like covered in daffodils and that makes it very positive when you're like oh my god like this is fucking insane like this is crazy you know the imagination makes you think there might be an infinite number of daffodils that type of thing and uh but still it's kind of like you know Maybe it's a today's lens type of thing. I feel like if if one of us ever tried that, or let's even just say general somebody was like, you know, I'm going to contact every florist in like three counties and buy out their entire fucking like one type of flower stock and set it up. 
and somehow no one's going to notice this and start, like, TikToking it or Snapchatting it so right. I can get you, like, throw a rock at your window and get you to look out. Like, that just comes across as just like, oh, my God, this is going on, like, r slash cringetopia the moment it happens, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, in, in definitely like the real life lens of like anybody who took this amount of time who doesn't really know you because he doesn't really know her. He saw her once at a carnival, uh, which actually I, I have to point out because we, we kind of have skipped over this. The bit where he's like, you know, time stands still. Yep. Uh, when you see the, the the person you love or whatever, the love at first sight thing. Mm-hmm. He's like, but the, what they don't tell you is that it speeds back up <laughs> to catch up with you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. So like he walks over to her and she's like frozen and then he doesn't get to talk to her. I thought that was really funny. Um, yeah, that's a great but, moment. I love that moment. I remember in the trailer for this movie, they showed when um, time is stopped and Ewan McGregor pushes the popcorn away and it falls to the ground. That was in the trailer. I remember that very vividly. And I still really like that moment. I really like the whole idea of that happening because I think that's the best representation of it. Like you, I think we've both heard, everybody's heard, where it's like, oh, when something big happens, whether it's seeing the love of your life, whether it's something traumatic, positive, negative, whatever, like time slows. You know, it's almost like having a panic attack or something. Um, um, and then this yeah. kind of gets at the idea of, well, it only does that for you, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that time slowing thing is is definitely well, – it, it's chemical in your brain. Like it's just yeah. this thing where your brain – like real. I think what really happens is that your brain speeds up to some degree. Um, yes. And that, that's that's what's going on. But, but no, that, that I thought that was a really funny take on it. Um, I, I definitely appreciated that joke. Oh yeah, it, it's also kind of um, the the notion of that when you see the love of your life, and you know, let's take the positive vein in the, in this case. You know, it's like they say time slows down. Like I just said, we just said it's happening just to you. I think this in this movie when that happens, that moment is the best representation of what happens in reality. Because of course, time does not slow in the way that it does in this movie in reality, but you get so focused on something or so wrapped up in the moment that you miss your chance, you know? And uh, sure to yeah. miss your chance bit, but like he does walk over there and she's still there. Oh when yeah, he gets there. what I'm saying is so like that's... that doesn't happen in reality. This this depiction uh, in that way, this fantastical depiction of it is like you know a like I said like a fantastical version of what happens in reality. I I think it's like an, an artistic rendition of it, if I may say. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm, I definitely agree with that. Um, but yeah, so he so he sees this girl like one time at at this uh, carnival yep. thing, uh, and then you know the next thing we know he's he's putting daffodils all. Like planting a like you said a fucking endless amount of daffodils. <laughs> yeah. Um. If if anybody saw that in real life, they would they would be like, okay, you're dangerous. Yeah. Um, I like I don't know I don't know what it is uh, that would make anybody do this much for somebody they don't know, uh, but I think it would also make you murder somebody. Yeah, the realistic scene that should be uh, well, if this movie was realistic, the story clearly are not. You know, they're they're tall tales or embellished tales. But like the real version, or like an honest trailer's version of this movie, would be like as as the he plants like or puts down, you know, maybe the fiftieth daffodil, and it starts to get noticeable. Someone from the college comes up, and it's like, "Sir, 
what are you doing? Do you have a I'm permit? Have you know, ask you to leave. <laughs> I'm gonna. Ha- I don't think you can do this here. You know, campus security yeah. rolling up on him, driving over some of the flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> probably all of them. Like they would just try to hit as many as possible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thinking like a bike cop, just fucking like you know. Sliding to a stop type of thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> They're just like, I'm just imagining him like twisting his handlebars back and forth real quick, just like hitting <laughs> each and every one he can. Yeah. Um, oh, God. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, but I love, I love, like I said, I love that scene. I love that. It's always stuck with me since I saw it the first time. And Sandra Templeton, I love you and I will marry you. Um, thankfully, I think maybe when I was younger, when I might have been 11 or 12, you know, in like the the year after I saw this movie, I might have thought, you know, that's the way to, to, to woo somebody. Now oh, I know yeah, better. Not... I'm, uh, I'm not trying that, you know. Uh, I'm also not uh, going to spend that much money. On flowers on... for somebody you don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay. So she's real pretty from across the room. She could be annoying. Yeah. That's... We, yeah. you don't you don't know anything like we um, talked about in Frozen last week. Have you eaten a meal with them yet? What if they do tiny things that annoy you? You know, <laughs> yes, yeah, that's, that's actually a, I didn't even really put that together till you know we just talked about it now that you know in Frozen Anna wants to get married by after knowing someone for one day. Edward Bloom wants to marry someone after one Frozen moment in time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, that's good. That's good. Okay, so so yeah, it is it is creepy. Everybody, don't don't buy a bunch of daffodils and plant them illegally in in a college campus or anywhere. Don't do that. I mean, well, unless probably, it's for a fun, you know, agricultural thing. Don't get information about somebody from a third party who is skeezy as fuck. Yes, and I guess that's a great transition. I've already said I dislike Tim Burton, but I love one of his regular collaborators. I love him so much that way back when we did a whole series on him on Cinemodities, Danny DeVito. I love Danny DeVito. I love him in this movie. First thing I want to point out, did you notice that he has a transparent glass cane? Did you see that? Did you pick that book up on that in the movie? I don't know. Um, it's really cool. It's only in a few scenes where he's like, you know, holding it or poking people with it, but it's it's like a fully transparent glass cane. It's really cool. I want one. Um, I, I love him in this movie. It is fucking crazy, even with how many times I've seen this movie and how much I know it by heart, that he's a werewolf. <laughs> yeah. In the story, of course, in the story. Um, yeah. And he's also a werewolf in real life, Danny DeVito. Oh, you think so? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, can, I know I can so. see that. Oh, you do? <laughs> Um, no, I I actually didn't know that he was a, uh, regular or, or common collaborator with Tim Burton. Um, yeah, yeah. He's in a, he's in a good bit of Tim Burton's, uh, he's even in, he's in Dumbo, the most recent Tim Burton, um, as a like carnival ringleader type of thing, like almost the very similar in this role. And, uh, he's the penguin in Batman Returns, um, uh, which is excellent. Oh yeah. Excellent casting. Danny DeVito has a line in this movie where it is so quick, but I, for some reason, I love it so much. When I, th- I think it's when they're uh, trying to get Carl the Giant to um, become part of the circus, about part of the carnival, and um, you know, I think like what he, he, him and his little sidekick walk up to uh, Ewan McGregor and Carl, or just Carl or whatever it is, and there's just a moment where Danny DeVito's like, "This is my attorney, Mister Soggy Bottom." And it just cuts. <laughs> it just cuts to the other guy, Deep Roy. It's played by Deep Roy, a very famous stunt actor, um, and and an actor. You know, he's he's in an episode of the X Files. He plays every single Oompa Loompa in Tim Burton's um, oh, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yep, he's every single one. Um, and uh, he's Deep Roy's fantastic. He's so funny in um, 
uh, Eastbound and Down, the HBO show with Danny McBride. There, he he wears a fake mustache in that show, and there's a scene where Danny McBride like rips the fake mustache off, and he's like, "Why are you even wearing this thing? It's so stupid." And Dan and Deep Roy pulls out another fake mustache and puts it on, and he goes, "I always carry backup mustaches," you know, and it's that's fucking great. But there's something about where Danny DeVito's like. This is my attorney, Mr. Soggy Bottom. And Mr. Soggy Bottom says, nice to meet you. That's his only line of dialogue in the entire fucking movie. <laughs> nice to meet you. I don't know why. That's always made me laugh. And it's like the most offhand thing. My attorney, Mr. Soggy Bottom. Good to meet you. Pleased to meet you. But then the werewolf scene, man, it's fucking crazy. The imagery of Mr. Soggy Bottom with the big clown suit on that opens up into like a velvet pillow for a gun with a single silver bullet and like you have a close-up shot as his face and he's like a tears running down it and he's accidentally shoots you and mcgregor like that scene is fucking intense and i absolutely love it <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah i mean it, it is i i have to say the soggy bottom line i i picked it up or i got it <laughs> nice you know nice. in the movie he's this is my attorney mr soggy bottom and i was like that's Weird. I, does this guy shit himself? Like, what? How, why is he called Soggy Bottom? <laughs> yes, you know, yes. got got to wonder about that. Um, but but no, I I agree though. The, the werewolf thing, like, it kind of comes out of left field. Totally, so, totally. Um, uh, especially because like he's been there for months, right? Like every like monthly, he gets a piece of information, and this is the first time he's seen them. A presumably full moon werewolf. We yeah, don't, yeah. We don't have anything to say otherwise. So. Yep. Yep. So I, I know we're jumping around in the uh, in the vignettes in the stories. There's more we haven't talked about that we can talk about here. Here's a question maybe to um to guide us to another one. I've, I've heard this pose before online. And I think, you know, this is something that when I do read the book or look up more about the book, um, I'll have some more information. And, you know, only reading about the play, I know they change a little bit of it. But the question I've heard before and I wanted to pose to you, Ben, if you had to cut one of the vignettes, one of the stories, would there be one that you cut? Is there like a least favorite, I guess, is my question uh, of yours, a least favorite of yours? I, I mean, I don't think that any like stick out to me as as should be cut. Okay. I guess the one, the one where he like fakes his death in the military, like that one's not the most eventful. Okay, that's the one that I've read online on like subreddits and forums and stuff. That most people would say cut the stuff with him and the Siamese twins. And okay. I don't think I agree completely. Um, I'm totally biased because I think everything should stay in this movie. Um, they should have added more. I, but like I said, I don't know what is not in the book or is in the book, that type of thing. But mm-hmm. I really like the Siamese twins. I like the song that they, they perform. You know, I've had twice the adventure. I've cried double the tears. I like the whole, the actual cinematography of the reveal that they're conjoined at the hip and they only share like, two legs type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I also think it's very funny when, you know, they he explains his love for Sandra Templeton, so they work with him, and, you know, they're like, when we get back to America, I know the biggest guy in show business. And they go, Bob Hope? And he goes, bigger. And the implication is that he's talking about Danny DeVito, right? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and it's like a- Amos Calloway, and it's like, that. there's no way Danny DeVito's bigger, bigger than Bob Hope. Um, I, I think, like, once you... Maybe I, I, I when I first saw this movie, now I, I don't agree with this, but maybe when I first saw this movie, my least favorite stuff was the early young young Edward Bloom with the witch stuff. Oh, really? I think that was some of my favorite stuff. Oh, okay. I remember disliking that when I was younger, but now I think it pays off at the end so fantastically well. 
Yeah. But I, I think my reasoning was I was like, oh, why is he a kid? You know, why why is he, you know, uh, you know, doing this just like, oh, we're going to the haunted house. Like, I thought, I think when I was a child, I thought that was childish. <laughs> okay. Um, but I, I, I like it now. I especially like the whole thing of the, um, what the Price brothers looking into the, uh, into the eye. And you get the one where he's like, I was an old man and I like fell down or something. He's like, I wasn't old at all. I had a heart attack on the shitter, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that was um that was a neat idea, I guess this thing where they can see their death in in the witch's eye. Yeah. I definitely enjoyed some of the like false bravado and stuff that it gives our character throughout the movie. Mm. Oh, he's just yeah. like I don't need to be worried. This isn't how I die. This isn't how yeah. I die and the trees stop attacking them, that type of thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um it's it's all so fantastical, but that's also the point, you know, is that um Billy Crudup is so um, you know, angry that he's his dad is clearly telling him stories and never like you know changing them or you know changing them. If he ever changes them, they become more fantastical or still embellish that type of thing, um, and never getting the real tale. I guess. Here's my question for you, Ben. What do you think is the implication of the movie in what young Edward Bloom sees in the witch's eye? Do you have a, a a thought or a take on what? How do you think he sees his, or what do you think he sees his own death as? The only thing I I don't think that it's like specific at all in terms of what you can conclude from uh, from what the movie tells us. So I, I definitely think it's just he sees himself as a really old man, um, and presumably as a really old man whose son hates him. Um, and at this point he's like trying to die. So he wants his kid to hate him. I'm not sure. Um, but no, I don't think that, uh, I don't think you can really conclude much of anything from the, from what they give us. Absolutely. It's definitely open-ended, you know, there's, as we do see in, um, Helena Bottom Carter plays the wish, as we do see in her eye of the Price's brother's deaths, we don't see what Edward Blue's seen. He just goes, huh, so that's how I go, you know, that type of thing. Now, over the years, I've come to the, the, the real, not maybe not realization, because you're right. It is, it is just, you know, guessing. I guess um, I've come to the thought that what young Edward Bloom sees is him reconnecting with his son. Finally, I don't know if I would go as far to say that he sees his son telling him the story um, in the hospital room. You know, the end of this movie, the climax of the movie. But I think it. I. Th- think he sees him like going as an old man and finally you know reconnecting with his son that type of thing what do you think about that take uh i i find it weird that well so i i that's definitely a possibility him reconnecting with his son he Mm -hmm. could know he's not gonna die yet because his son still hates him uh and then it's at other times because he doesn't have a son yet but i i definitely find it an odd choice to know that my son hates me because I tell fake stories or embellish stories and he, there's nothing he can really grab onto as the truth. And then to just keep doing that. Um, and, but you know, actually now that I say that, maybe, maybe that's why he did it because he thought he would die as soon as he stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. So that, that I, I think from what you're saying, do you think at the end of this movie, uh, just so I want to be clear, do you think that Billy Crudup, um, Will Bloom, the son, do you think he still hates the dad at the end of the movie? Is that what you're saying? Or am I misunderstanding you? I, I mean, I don't think he ever gets any kind of satisfaction from... Interesting. Like it. Okay. So I I take the end of this movie, because the two scenes at the end, um, when they're in the hospital together, 
And, you know, old Albert Finney, old Edward Bloom wakes up and he goes, like, tell me how I go. And his son is like, you never told me that story, Dad. I can't tell you how you go. And he's like, no, tell me how I go. And Will Bloom finally tells his dad a story. I think that scene, and then connect that to the actual funeral. So not the story Will Bloom tells, but the funeral where Will Bloom Bloom realizes that every single thing his dad has ever told him was just an embellishment of the truth and not an outright lie. That Will Bloom, Bloom, I keep saying, I'm doing a bad Ben, I'm saying broom instead of bloom. Um, he he, re- I'll bleep it out. It'll be fun. Um, <laughs> he realizes that his dad was just like exemplifying reality. I take the theme of this movie to be that you know how we live on in the legacy of storytelling is more important than who we were in reality. Does that make sense? I, I definitely understand what you're saying. Okay, um, but so I mean, at the end, is is he? I I I, mean, I think that he finds a way to kind of forgive his dad mm-hmm. but and and sure maybe maybe he feels like emotionally resolved but i don't think there's anything in the story that should make him feel resolved before his dad dies um maybe a little bit after his dad dies and he learns that some of the stuff was actually true but before his dad dies like no there's no there's no reason he should feel emotionally resolved just suddenly he wants to like his dad's like i'm dying tell me a story he's like fine i'll fucking take part in your lying games too so okay. no, that, that so, seems really weird to me. So it sounds like what you're saying is that when he tells the story to um, old Edward Bloom on his deathbed that he's just doing it, you know, because his dad's about to die. But I, I want to bring up the um, the scene just before that or the moment just before that where the doctor, uh, Richard Guillaume. It's Robert Guillaume, not Richard. I don't even know what I was thinking. Uh, the doctor, the guy who voices Rafiki in The Lion King, uh, Richard Guillaume is like, you know, did your dad ever tell you the story of the day you were born? And Will Bloom is like, not the real one. And he's like, well, you know, he couldn't make it because he was off being a salesman or whatever, or rebuilding Spectre, as we might think as we've seen the movie. And he he's very upset that he missed it. And the, the doctor says something, you know, like, uh, I prefer the fantastical one. But, you know, to each his own. I feel like that's the start where Will Bloom has to start to think, where it's like, well, what's better? Is it the embellished version that exemplifies and, you know, pronounces the emotions of the moment? Or is it just the straight facts? And I feel like that's the, that's the one, two, three hit, where he has someone else tell him, like, which is better? Do you want just the straight facts that you have the knowledge of, or do you want heightened emotion that is going make to un- make you understand what your father felt? Then telling the story, then realizing that it wasn't all outright lies. If that happened, it's a it's some shit that would only happen in a movie. Well, uh, sure, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right about that, man. <laughs> I, like in real life, you're not going to be like, yeah, it's great that you lied to me the whole time I was asking you to tell me the truth. You're going to be like, why didn't you tell me what you were getting getting at? You know, like sure. why didn't you let me know that you were. That you're like real life was too boring, and this is just what I'm telling you. I get what you're I saying. It, it's it, but it is a. I think it's a very. Th- that's the thematic element of this movie. That's very heightened. Um, where you're right in in reality to some extent. You know, Billy Crudup, uh, Will Bloom should go to his dad and be like, "Dad, you've lied to me my whole fucking life. Can I just know who you are?" And instead of just blatantly saying, "Well, I'm a storyteller. I like to embellish because it makes things better. Because life is boring as shit," you know, something like that. Instead, he just keeps telling stories. You know, <laughs> right? Well, and I, I, I guess it's like t- it, it would be pretty mean to tell your kid like 
my life was so boring and and then of course your kids and be like well i was a big part of your life you know <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so, so like i guess that would be pretty mean and, and maybe it's it's nicer to not say that but uh i think as uh as a responsible adult you kind of owe it to your kid to not be full of shit all the time uh, that that's fair i get in reality, yes. In the context of this fanciful movie, uh, that's where I'm like, I love every minute of it. And I actually sure. think there's a great I – mean, yeah, go for it. I, I'm I'm a fan of, of uh, the saying, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Sure. But when it comes to your kid repeatedly asking you to show him some humanity and stop lying to him, and or yeah. or at the very least stop pretending you're not lying to him. And you just refuse to do that. Like that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm with you. You're right. Um. It it at least lends some credence to how big of a douchebag Will Bloom is as as acting at some moments in this movie. Uh, where you know, there's some moments where he's like you know, cutting off the stories of the dad at the dinner table, that type of thing. And yeah, I'm like, I've, and I'm like, your wife hasn't heard, heard him one. yet. Like, let him talk. And also, he's fucking bedridden. Bedridden. This seems like the first time you got him out of bed downstairs to the dinner table. Why are you fucking getting it up in his, you know, mojo type of thing? Let him be charming yeah. to your wife. The whole beginning of the movie, when they're t- uh, at um, the wedding ceremony, uh, the wedding reception, and, you know, Billy Crudup takes Albert Finney outside, and he's like, Dad, you fucking told a really good speech. Fuck you. And it's like, calm down, Billy Crudup. He charmed the room. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, from I, I definitely look at it from Crudup's side. He's just like, okay, okay. Dad, you're a fucking liar, and I, I have told you numerous times that I am, you know, turned off by this, that I, that this bothers the shit out of me, that you won't tell me the truth. Um, and now you're just going to stand up and not only lie <laughs> to a room full of people that I invited here, but also like take away the attention from, from what's actually supposed to be happening, which is my wedding. Uh, and you're doing it to just lie. That's fair. That's fair. I totally get where you're coming from. And I, I think, you know, it, that actually the line I want to reference is, you know, maybe one that, you know, with what you said, you agree with a lot. I think it's the first time the son and father talk in like what they say three years or something. And, um, Billy Crudup is like, you know, I'm going to be a dad, that type of thing. I got to raise this kid right. And Albert Finney says, you spend years trying to corrupt this child, fill his head with nonsense, but he ends up turning out just fine. (laughs) (laughs) Is, uh, is that, I remember that line, but is that what the dad said that he, yeah, that's what, that's what the dad says. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, that that's kind of dickish. Like that's a, he's being really flippant about the fact that his son hates that he lied to him the whole Ab- time. Absolutely, and that I think that's that's one of the things. It's like you're right. There's so much tension between them. There's so much headbutting. Like you have the the whole thing of you know Albert Finney, Edward Bloom just wants to tell stories and he wants to embellish. He wants to you know make it fanciful. And Billy Crudup, you know. In real life, if you don't remember, Ben, Billy Crudup does the um, – do you remember the MasterCard priceless he's... commercials? Do you oh, remember like – I thought the... you were going to tell me he's Kylo Ren. Uh, he's not Kylo Ren. Do you think he looks like Adam Driver? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I, guess, I think I did it when I watched this movie. Okay. Um, he, he is Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen with uh, his, oh, dick, wow. his dick out the whole time. Yeah. But okay, yeah. He, he's the MasterCard priceless guy. Remember nice those dick. commercials where he's like you know going on a trip to Spain? $500, hotel room, $200 for the night, spending time with your loved one, 
priceless. That's him. And I feel like he oh, never okay. shook that cadence of speaking in that commercial. Because there's <laughs> moments in this movie where he's like, you know, Dad, drink this in shore. I'll tell Mom you drank all of it. Priceless. <laughs> you know? I'm, just, I'm just like, you sound like the commercial, dude. Like, there's a different way to talk as a normal human being and talking in a commercial, you know, for a 30 second soundbite type of thing. And I feel like he never shook that, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't pick up on it, but... I, it's kind of a funny thought, I guess. Yeah, okay, okay, right on. So I want to stay on this topic. I want to stay on the topic of the father-son relationship because i that's the thing that really works for me, As, especially when I've gotten older now on this rewatch. I love it. I want to quote uh, something I found in my research, and this is going to be another unexpected thing, Ben. Um, I am in full agreement with this quote I'm going to read. It is from a person named Kent Brinthall. Uh, Brint Nall, sorry, that's an N, not an H. Kent Brint Nall is a religious scholar, and for some reason, he reviewed or wrote about this movie, and that's where I found this quote. Uh, so yeah, everybody, I'm agreeing with this religious scholar. So this is what the quote says, and I, I think it encapsulates why I love this movie and the idea of this movie. So he says, quote, In a final gesture of love and comprehension— After a lifetime of despising his father's stories and his father as a storyteller, Will finishes the story his father has begun, pulling together the themes, images, and characters of his father's storied life to Brent... God, I'm doing L's and R's. To blend reality and fantasy in an act of communion and care. By unselfishly releasing the anger he has held about his father's stories, Will gains the understanding that all we are is our stories, and that his father's stories gave him a reality and substance and a dimension that was real, genuine, and deep as the day-to-day experience that Will sought out. Will comes to understand, then, that his father and the rest of us are our stories, and that the deeper reality of our lives may, in fact, not be our truest self. So, Ben, this is some shit that I feel like you know me. I don't think this way in real life, but I love that about this movie. I love that our stories, our legacy is better than ourselves in this movie, if that makes sense. I know I threw a big quote at you, but what do you want to start to pick at from there? Uh, I mean, I, I kind of agree that, that your story is more important than what actually happened. Um, and, and that's, that's almost always true, actually. Okay. Um, from like a, I, I don't know, like a technical standpoint, I guess, is like this, the thing that is remembered is what is more important than what actually happened. Um, and in reality, you're, you don't actually know what happened because your brain interpreted it as it was happening. Sure. Um, and so like your brain is not geared towards remembering facts. Your brain is geared towards making sense out of the world. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, to a large degree, stories are, are way more important. And like the biblical stories, for instance, you know, you can you can believe that those all happened or you cannot believe they all happened and still think that they're very important. So it's not it's not that I have a problem with the idea of allegory and stories and and, you know, these kinds of like really involved things mm-hmm. in general. The thing I have a problem with is the relationship with your child where you can't be honest with them, like where you just can never be real with them. Like that's the the problem I have with it. I I do agree that that uh, the son, in like a selfless act, 
in the moment decides to indulge his father before he finally, uh, you know, dies. Uh, but I don't think, I don't think that that is redeeming for the father in any way. Uh, but it okay. is for the son. Yes. If that means. Yes. Um, I think, I think there is a sense of, um, you know, maybe passing the torch at the end of this movie. Um, you know, making sure that God, legacy I hope lives I on. I hope he doesn't do that to his kid. Isn't maybe that... he can tell him cool stories, but yeah. also maybe what... also tell him the truth. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure we get a scene at the very end with the with the kid of Billy Crudup where he's telling him a story, and it's like, oh, the legacy's continuing. But I am kind of with you that in, you know, in the real sense that, you know, you don't want to see this movie repeat itself. You know, you don't want Big Fish 2 to be the same movie just with old Billy Crudup. <laughs> And a new kid, no. you know? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, we don't want that. Uh, if anything, we want Big Fish 2 to to be his son constantly lying to him. <laughs> it's like me, me getting it from both ends, you know? <laughs> that would actually be funny. Like the kid is like in high school years, like lying about, you know, doing drugs or something and having sex and it's Billy Crudup having an existential crisis with, um, you know, well, his wife and his, his mother being like, you know, no one tells, Oh my God, that's, that'd actually be great. Billy Crudup. Like it would be like almost a reverse of one of like the romantic male, female things where I feel like it's usually the female being like, men are always lying to me. But Billy Crudup being like, men are always lying to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and I, I think for this, like the fantastical, you know, the, the the thing with his kid, like his kid would be like a boring, you know, really awful or not awful, but like awfully boring. Kind <laughs> yeah. Of person. Yeah. And he'd be like, actually, I have a lot of friends. I do a lot of drugs and I get laid all the time. Like, this is just <laughs> like lying to him to make him look cooler. Because like, that's essentially what his dad did his whole life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, it's like I, I get it. You know, if you're driving or if you're a traveling salesman. You're probably driving around. You're probably coming up with these stories as you drive around. You know, like you're trying to to make sense of the interactions you've had. You're you're trying to keep yourself entertained as you drive for hours on end. Mm-hmm. Like I get, and if that's something you want to be like, look, I'm going to share these crazy fucking stories with my kid because they're how I survived. Like that's great, but also tell him like this is a crazy fucking story that I used to help me survive. You know what sure, I mean? Sure, sure. Like. Be like, I did this really hard thing where I drove all you know hours on end, and I did it because I love you and your mom, and I wanted to, to support you guys. Yeah. And this is these are these stories that I you know kind of developed to to keep myself entertained. Definitely. Like that's great. Pass those stories on. That's great. That's a, a very cute like legacy of you know you have a father who who wants to care for his family and blah, 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 blah. It's great. But for him to just refuse to tell his son anything true, I, I, I can't be with it, you know? Well, I, I think you're, you're – I'm, I understand what you're saying. But I think there is the characterization of Edward Bloom, you know, him as – old Edward Bloom as Albert Finney, and what we know of him through the stories, the flashbacks, whatever you want to call him, as Ewan McGregor, that type of thing. There is the sense, the movie makes it very clear, I think, that he is an actor, a storyteller, an actor. I mean, I'm thinking of the scene where, what, he's um, he's talking to Billy Crudup's wife, Marion Cotillard, who we have to talk more about, where there's the scene where she's like, oh, like, talking to him, and then she goes, oh, I'll go get you something. Like, I'll get you water, I'll get you another fucking insure, or whatever the hell it is. And the Mm. moment she leaves the room, he winces in pain, and then as soon as he hears her walking back, he just, like, goes back to his neutral state. Like, I don't think he can turn it off. Like, he is a performer, for for better or worse. 
And that, that might be to the detriment of his relationship with his son, of course, like you've been saying. But, you know, I think that's just the mode that character lives in. Sure. I mean, uh, somebody's proclivities don't excuse their behavior, I guess. Uh, that's fair. Uh, and that's true. I mean, that's that's true. But, uh, you know, it's uh, once again, I think it's heightened in this movie. It's um, it's very yeah, it's very fun. It's definitely exaggerated. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, exaggerated, embellished, all that stuff uh, on that topic. Once again, while we, I want to keep on this because it works so well with me. Um, let me just let me just like punch you with the question, Ben. Like I punched you last week with the "Do you think Frozen is a lesbian allegory?" Let me hit you with another hard hitting question. Did you cry when Billy Crudup tells Albert Finney the story in the hospital? Did you did you shed tears at the climax of this movie? No. Oh, I cry every time, bro. I cry every time. It is uh, it hits me. I actually think the moment the moment that gets me is that, you know, when they're getting out of the hospital, when he's telling the story and they're, like, getting out of the hospital, it's like the one-two punch of you see the elevator open up, and it's the um, the mother, Billy Carter's mother and the wife, Marion Cotillard, and, you know, Albert Finney in the wheelchair goes, no time to explain, stall him. And then when they, that, it, when it first starts to hit me, and then when they get down to the car, it cuts back to the actual hospital room, and Billy Crudup says something like, we have to take this street, because if we take the other street, those church people drive too damn slow. And it's like, he's finally telling a story with the tiny little flares that make Ed Bloom's stories so great. Like, he finally learns from his father, and then the entire idea that Everybody he's ever met in his life is already at the lake. Even the people that were at the hospital when they left are there before them. I <laughs> I cry every time. And on that point, when I rewatched this for this recording, I reviewed this on Letterboxd, as I, as I do. Uh, I gave it five stars, of course. And this was my review, Ben. Like, spelled L-I-E-K, dis, D-I-S, if you, the letter U, cry, C-R-I, every time t-i-e-m i wrote like this if you cry every time <laughs> saw that in a meme once and it felt fitting for this movie on that same topic of letterbox i have to bring this up because i love our good patreon friend carlos oh i bring him up a lot he gave this movie two and a half stars which i uh, sufficiently chided him for on letterbox everybody don't worry he watched this in january of 2020 and um his review of two and a half stars said this sure he had these adventures but maybe he just wasn't a great father. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like Carlos and you were a little more aligned. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's, that's great. Uh, I, um, I really like, I, yeah, that's good. <laughs> so I, I can tell you, um, you'll, you'll never have to ask me this question again. Cause there's only one thing that is one show that has legitimately made me cry. Okay. Uh, and it is the, the end of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Oh yes, I, you've told me that before. I remember now. Yep, yep. Um, uh, I, I prob, I haven't watched that in so long, but I might have cried. I mean, I cry at some stupid, weird shit. Like I cry at the end of L'Illusionist, the French silent film. That you know, just a, a girl opens a card and the text says magic is not real, and I'm just in fucking shambles. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Yeah, that's um. That doesn't sound like I would cry. I mean, I don't know the context, so that's probably important. But um, but no, I yeah, I don't know if you remember in in the end of Brotherhood, he uh, Edward gives up his alchemy oh, to save yes. his brother. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that and is I, some sad shit for sure. Like Absolutely. he like he transmutes his gate or whatever, and he like beats the universe. Okay. And I was like, 
he fucking he gave up the thing that makes him who he is for the whole show, and he beat the universe to save his brother. Yeah, and it was just yeah, that was that's the only thing that has ever made me cry like legit in the moment. Okay, okay, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that makes me cry. I mean, I I don't cry every time, but I have been in mindsets where I cry at the um. Not the end, but many parts of Don Hartsfeld's It's Such a Beautiful Day, which is my number one thing of all time, like movie and TV show. I don't I don't cry during Spirited Away. Even though Spirited Away is like my number three movie of all time, I never cry during that. Uh, yeah, it's it's a weird thing. But yeah, I like this like this episode if you cry every time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that that moment, him telling the story, him giving the flourishes that don't matter, you know, it's just, it's just to make the story more f- like full type of thing i think that works so well it it's so so good i love it the other scene in this movie that makes me tear up i don't think i cry every time but i definitely feel like sad is when um old edward bloom albert finney and um old sandra templeton played by jessica lang they get in the bathtub and you know she's like why the Mm. fuck are you in the bathtub and she he's like I would have dried out. And she's like, I don't think I'm ever going to dry out. And it's such a great line because in a dumber version of this movie is that she would say, like, you know, I'm never going to run out of tears. Or she'd say, I don't think I'll ever dry out because I cry so much, but I'll keep crying. I love that they don't add that. All she says is, I don't think I'll ever dry out. And they just kind of embrace in the bathtub with all the water filled with their clothes on. It's a very strange scene, but I love it. I think it's so touching. (laughs) I, I thought that was a reference to the fish. Is, isn't isn't the mom the fish? Kind of. Both the mom and the dad are the fish. <laughs> um, um, yeah, but but yeah, well, you know, the there's fish the, is probably the son. Or, I'm sorry, the dad's probably the son's fish because he never got him. Um, sure, sure. And the mom was the dad's fish. So I thought she was just like, I'll never dry out because I'm a fish and I'm in the water. I don't know. I didn't really know what to make of that. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I, I definitely I, – I've always taken it that Albert Finney, Ewan McGregor, Edward Bloom is the fish. He's the big fish. And, you know, because there's a whole thing about him needing the pool and stuff like that. And then even Billy Crudup seeing the fish in the pool when the dad's not in there, that type of thing. Uh, and then also the end, the story that Billy Crudup tells is that he's like, I take you down to the, the river and I throw you in and you turn into the big fish, that type of thing. But yeah, you're right. There is some elemental status of like whose fish is whose almost. But Ben, I can't – now that I think of it, I can't believe I didn't ask you this question right at the start. Was that fish big? Did you think that fish was big? <laughs> uh so before we recorded this, I told my wife, like, I can't wait for Rob to ask me, how big was that fish? <laughs> Is it a big fish? Uh, you know, any any variation of those questions. It's taking us like an hour. I feel ashamed. <laughs> yeah, I really thought it was going to happen sooner. Um, I, I believe what I told her. She told me that I should say the fish is this big and just hold out my arms because that will translate really well into – uh, an audio medium. Oh, that's good. Everybody in the cinema audience, Ben and I are holding out our hands. If you stop and start doing it again, so we both do it at the same time. This is how big the fish was, everybody. Oh, shit. That's, Spoiler yeah, alert. This is how big the fish was. Um, yeah, and I, I think I told her that I was probably going to say something like it's at least seven. Okay, yeah. I, I might go as far as eight. Uh. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I said at least. It's, um, I'm not wrong is what I'm trying to tell you. You and your inequalities about fish. (laughs) That's right, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's the world we live in today. Inequalities about fish is really all we have. 
<laughs> it's the truth. I mean, you know what else? What else can we say? It's the truth. We're 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 spitting hot takes like it is. You know, it, that's what Cinemodities yeah, yeah. does. <laughs> that's that is what we do. Um, listen to the rants episodes on the Patreon to to hear more. I was about to make of... a similar reference because one of the rants I edited last night was some shit where we talk for like five minutes about something movie or TV show related, and then at the end you're like, and that's all I have to say about. Uh, Ukraine? That's great. Oh yeah, that that is good. That is. But the fish. We'll see how well that 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 joke ages. Definitely. Considering there might Ukraine forever. Yeah, but the the fish. I think the fish was fairly big. I mean, it's a it's a big fish as far as I know. I mean, I've seen some big fish when I've been to aquariums. But if I was in a river and saw a fish like that, I'd be like, "What's that meme?" That Anthony Fantano does. Damn, boy, he thick. He a thick boy. If I was fishing in a river and I saw that big of a catfish, I'd be like, damn, that fish is big. <laughs> <laughs> you're so fat. People see you walking down the street and they're like, damn, you're fat. Uh, that's, that's how big that fish was. People see you walking down the street and like, damn, that's a big fish. <laughs> I think we've said enough about the whole relationship aspect. There's a few, like, performances I wanted to talk to you about. I mean, let's go to it with Billy Crudup just because we're, we're there, basically. Um, Billy Crudup, so, you know, now you've seen him in this, Ben. I've reminded you he's the um, MasterCard guy. Uh, and Dr. Manhattan, where he's very monotone, of course. Do you know him from anything else? I mean, did you ever see, like, oh, God, Almost Famous? The, the... He, He's in the new Star Wars movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, Billy no, Adam know. Driver Crudup. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't know. Really. Okay, okay. What do you think of him in this movie? I know we talked a little bit about it with the um his cadence and speech. I think is weird. But uh, did you have any problems with him or anything like that? I mean, it didn't help him that I thought the portions of the movie that he was in were like the most useless portions. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. But no, I mean, I didn't have any particular problems with him. He just seemed like somebody who was like disgruntled. Okay. Okay. Which seemed appropriate for what his character was doing okay that's fair i don't mind him in this movie i think i like him in most of the stuff i see i mean like i'm i'm not like a fan of his for something i want to get to about that specifically his his real life stuff not his acting stuff but i think he's great as dr manhattan i'm all, i also love watchmen i also say that the only way to watch watchmen uh the Zack snyder movie is the five hour ultimate cut um yes ben that's that's true i think i told I tried to watch it with you once, and you slept through three hours of it. <laughs> but here's the thing. This movie comes Sounds out right. in December 2003. So I think it's December 10th, 2003 is the release date, U.S. release date in theaters for Big Fish. This is just after. I think it's like two or three months after Billy Crudup does something in real life that I find very morally problematic, but I want to pick your brain on, because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Ben. Um, for years, Billy Crudup dated, uh, never got married, I believe, but dated, um, in real life, Mary Louise Parker, who you might know as um, the, the main woman from Weeds. That's, like, where everybody knows her from. The one, oh, okay. with, the, one with the beady shark eyes, because she has, like, black pupils and black irises. It's a weird thing. They dated for a long time, and when he left her in, you know, late 2003... She was seven months pregnant. He oh. left a seven months pregnant woman to go on to date Claire Danes. And I don't know if you know fucking Claire Danes. She's in like Romeo and Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann movie. Um, 
she's the love interest in Terminator 3. But but I knew we had to bring this up because I don't think we've ever specifically touched on Billy Crudup. Maybe when Zach and I did Watchmen, we brought this up. But what's what's your thoughts on that? This movie being such a wholesome, positive romance, what do you think about it coming out just after Billy Crudup said, seven months pregnant, I'm dipping. <laughs> Was was it his kid? It was. It was a hundred percent his child. Yep. I mean that's important. Oh, that's actually a really good question. I thought that might be implied, but I'm glad you cleared that up for the cinema audience. Um, but yes, it was his child. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that would change things. I do agree with you. If it's not your kid, you have a lot less connection for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, also the infidelity. Um, yes. That's a good reason to leave. As as somebody whose parents got divorced, um, I tend. To, I think my parents were better off divorced, and I think as a result, their children were better off divorced. Okay. Uh, with them being divorced. Okay. So I'm not I'm not inclined to say that people should stick around just because of children. So you don't subscribe to the um you know oh the kid will make the marriage better you know that some people oh, seem to think certainly not. I, I'm I don't with think, you. Okay. Yeah. I'm with I don't you. think children will make marriages better. Children will make marriages harder. <laughs> yeah. Um. If you if you don't have a good partnership with your significant other. Bringing a child into it is not going to help. Um, I'm reminded of that meme with the the like the flex tape where the dude's like slapping tape on a on a <laughs> yeah. giant thing of water. Yep. That that's what having a kid is like if if you're you know if you're in a bad marriage. Sure, sure. You're just trying to slap some tape on a on a problem that requires something significantly more than that. That being said, I mean, as long as he upheld his responsibilities vis-a-vis child support, um, I'm I probably have no huge issue with that um i mean it's it's kind of shitty like he probably should have left earlier than that yeah uh, I, I ideally agree. you know ideally you leave as soon as as soon as you know you're going to or as soon as, soon as it makes sense to uh, you know whatever but he might not have known earlier than that i mean i can't say what his situation was um if he just left because of the kid it's probably for the best because he wasn't going to be a good dad i, I would be hard-pressed to say that it would, is like the wrong decision Okay. Uh, it's it's a decision. It's an unfortunate one, but in general, I don't think that kids are better off when they have parents who shouldn't be in a relationship together. Sure, sure. Maybe to maybe, I don't think generalize. Maybe expand this to a larger set or something. What do you think? Because I, I've heard differing opinions on this. I don't think we've I've ever we've ever talked about this. What do you think about the whole idea of like you know leaving? Your loved one, your family, you know, anything. I'm not, I don't want to put it too specific. When you meet someone you love more, you know, does that, am I, is what I'm saying make sense? It makes me think of, I think the movie's called like, I think it might be called Valentine's Day. It's one of those movies where like everybody famous is in it, you know, type of thing. Because there mm-hmm. is, there is a segment where like Bradley Cooper is married to somebody and loves her, but then meets Scarlett Johansson, and he's just like, oh my god, she's better in every way, I want to leave my wife. What do you think about that idea in general? And the reason I bring this up is because not only did Billy Crudup do that, clearly he thought Claire Danes, he was more in love with Claire Danes. I don't want to say, maybe better is not the right word, but more in love with or something. But also, I'm not sure if you did this in real life, Ewan McGregor did the same thing. He left his wife of many years for Mary Elizabeth Winstead. So this is a common thing in Hollywood, but what do you just think about that idea in general, I guess? Because I've heard differing opinions. I think it's asinine to do that if... I mean, it really really depends on how long you've actually known the person. 
Sure. Like if, if you just met somebody and you're like, damn, like I, I feel, you know, these connections with you, whatever for one, like I'm definitely, uh, once you've made a commitment, I definitely think that you should try to keep it given that it's possible. Uh, and that both partners or both parties can benefit from that, you know? Um, but there's also like, uh, how should I say this? Like, there's there's going to be times in any relationship where work is needed. Yep. And then there's going to be th- there's always that like honeymoon phase when you first meet somebody. And it's like if you're in a time where work is needed in your relationship, and then you just run away to the first time that somebody gives you feelings. Sure. Uh, you're going to quit that relationship too. And why wouldn't you? you gotcha. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess I I think it is ridiculous to leave one relationship for another one. I think if you're going to leave somebody, it should be because you're going to leave them. And if you end up in another relationship with somebody else after the fact, like, that's whatever. Okay, okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. I understand. I I think you you made me think of something that I think you were getting at. I think there is context of how long you've been in the relationship. You know, I think there's a big difference between, oh, I left someone after a year versus um, I I had to look it up to get it right. But in the case of you and McGregor, uh, 22 years. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that that's what is wild because I'm like, oh my god, they were that together that long. They have children together, and then they just like him and Mary Elizabeth Winstead met on the set of um, season three of Fargo, and then they're just like, well, fucking let's go. This is it. This is the new thing. Um, so I, how long did they know each other? I don't know that. I don't know that how long him and Mary Elizabeth Winstead knew each other. I don't know that. Um. I think there is context to the length of time you've been together, but I am with you where it's kind of like, you know, I do kind of side on the the uh, the, the side of the fence where it's kind of like, you know, leave if you're going to leave, like you said. Like, if there's problems, there's problems. It's not just because, oh, I found someone I love more. Like, that seems strange to me. Maybe because I haven't lived through it, but I don't know. It's, it's a very I, tough topic for me. I, I can certainly see a situation where meeting somebody else makes you realize that there are problems that you, maybe you were Ooh, sure. ignoring or something like that. Sure. Um, but I, I think the appropriate thing to do in that situation is to uh, try to address those problems. Yes. Um, because that's that's what you sign up for when you get married. Yeah. Is, why, like ask yourself, why am I so much more in love with this person? Why has the person I've been with for 22 years – gone wrong or something like that yeah yeah i mean figure out figure out what it is that is a problem in your relationship and then talk to your partner about it and uh potentially even go to therapy about it like that's that's the thing is that like no relationship is going to be easy forever um all relationships have their hard points and most of the time both parties are responsible in some way or another for those hard points and it's like you just i don't know you can't you can't just walk away every time it's hard. Yes. Um, yeah. If if you did that, and, and it's, you know, with my parents, like they, I really believe that they were never going to be able to sort it out or whatever. But with with most relationships, like I would, I would, like you just have to give yourself a chance to work it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do that, then you're, I don't know. I, I would be hesitant to ever make a commitment to you. I guess. Sure. No, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting, and uh, I hope everybody uh, has enjoyed. If you have more to say, Ben, please do. But I hope everybody is enjoying the um, Cinemodities romance movie relationship corner that we're doing in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Ben, as I look through my notes, because I didn't get a chance to read them over before I recorded, is there anything else you wanted to highlight from Big Fish? Are there any vignettes that you liked that we didn't get to, or anything you disliked we didn't get to? Um, uh, I, we, as didn't, I... we didn't talk about Spectre, really, at all. Oh, that's uh, right. Yes, of course. Oh, and I just remembered our tangent broke off from performances, so I'll get back to performance I want to talk about. But yeah, Spectre! What's your name? Hel- Helena Bonham Carter or something? Yeah, Helena Bonham Carter being uh, Jenny and then becoming I feel like her witch. name is so hard to say. Helena Bonham um, Carter? <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just like, every time I, I try to say her name, I don't remember it right. I'm just like, sure. Helena... Helena... Barger Conum, you know, it's just whatever. <laughs> There's too many names. It's too many syllables. Sure. That's like 80, 90 syllables. It's too many. That's too many syllables. Um, yep. I'm with you. No, it, yeah. So, like, her becoming the witch, like, I don't fully understand the whole thing where she's like, later in her life, she becomes the witch that reveals to him when he's going to die. And she seemed to be in love with him. And, like, there was, like, that whole weird thing going on. Sure. Where she was like, I want to be your baby mama and he was like i got a baby mama already and a fish and I love um, my wife yep yep i i i actually love the fact that out of all these vignettes out of all these stories that are told by edward bloom or characters relating to edward bloom they're all fanciful they're all exaggerated like we've been saying you know like clearly danny devito's not a werewolf in this movie he is in real life but not in this movie uh, as ben told us but the one thing that is literally nonsensical, like full-on nonsensical, is that she she's like, and then I became the witch, or I, Jenny becomes the witch, and the story ended where it began. But the movie calls that out. Like, Billy Crudup, when it cuts back from that flashback, goes, well, that makes no logical sense. And Helena Bonham Carter says, it's logical if you think like your father. And I'm like, that's, that's fucking kind of the point of the movie right there. <laughs> Well, yeah, she does. She does say that, and she's not wrong, I guess. But that's some crazy shit. Yes, yes, it, it is very um, Finnegan's Wake. Of course, the book I mentioned that it starts in the middle of a sentence and it ends in the middle of the same sentence, so you can read it on loop. That type of thing. It is nonsensical, like we said, but I think it's a nice touch where that there is a loop to Edward Bloom's story. I, I don't think that Edward Bloom, as a storyteller, as a, you know, a, a tall tale teller, that his life doesn't end with his death. This goes back to the legacy thing we were saying before, that his story basically just repeats. Like, he's almost manufactured in his stories a way to make sure that there is a never-ending tale. For, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, the, this is the song that never ends. Yeah. Which goes on and on, my friends. Yes, yes. Some people started singing it not knowing what it was, <laughs> and they'll continue singing it forever just because this is the song that never ends. Yeah, I, that was that was definitely something that was kind of intriguing. I I, uh, I guess I wanted a little more explanation about it, but sure. but I did like the payoff uh, with with the witch. Um, and what's her name? Jenny. Jenny. Yeah. Jenny. The, the AIDS lady from Forrest Gump? Oh, I, I, that's what I was getting at. Um, okay, well, while you're here, while we are here, I think this movie is the better version of Forrest Gump. Now, hear me out, Ben. I, I want to ask you when the last time you saw Forrest Gump was, if you ever have, but hear me out. I think the mo- two movies are very similar in the extent that they are about at their bare core, or most inner core, two people, one Edward Bloom, one Forrest Gump, just living a life going around, having all these vignettes, having all these interactions with different people, and influencing the people that they meet along the way to, in the end, 
use their relationships to better a group. So in Edward Bloom's case, he uses his relationships to make sure Spectre stays alive. And, you know, that is what we're talking about was the whole Spectre thing. You know, when it gets dilapidated, Edward Bloom buys all the land and makes sure that, you know, it, it really stays in its true form. Forrest Gump is very similar, but with his mother. The whole thing is that, you know, he does the um, Bubba Gump Shrimp Co. to buy his mama, keep the mom's house, you know, have, keep the land, all that stuff. I think Forrest Gump has its issues, where this movie succeeds. So that, let me let that be my first question. When, if ever, have you seen Forrest Gump? Oh, God, if I ever saw it, it would have just been whatever I caught when it aired on TV. Okay. I don't think I ever watched it intentionally. Okay, okay. There, there's a moment in Forrest Gump where he has to give a speech at the Washington Mall. Um, I think it's when he comes back from Vietnam. If I'm misremembering that war, I think it's Vietnam. But he, like, comes back and, you know... He's in his his whole military gear, and he's, for some stupid reason, because that's the whole fucking point. I I dislike Forrest Gump, everybody, if you couldn't tell. The whole point of the movie is he just stumbles onto events, where I think a a better version of that is in Edward Bloom's case. He doesn't stupidly stumble onto events. I think he actually, you know, has a motivation that brings him to events. Whether or not the events he's looking for, I think he has intention. Forrest Gump does not know what intention is, because stupid is as stupid does. But in this moment, Forrest Gump, like, is pushed up on stage by somebody to give a speech to the entirety of this this giant rally in the Washington Square Mall, um, or Washington Mall. Uh, Washington Square is a park in New York. Washington Mall. And um, for some reason, a protester, like, takes out all the um, the audio cords, so the audience, the protesters, don't hear what Forrest Gump says, and neither does the audience. And literally, the scene in the movie is Forrest Gump going... If I have one thing to say about the war, it's... And then he cuts out, and nobody hears what he says. And the whole thing is that, like, some people cheer, some people don't. I think one woman gets up and goes, I couldn't have put it better myself, but you don't know the orientation or alignment of that woman and her politics type of thing. And it's basically like saying, well, Forrest Gump can mean whatever you want it to mean. And it's like, that's fucking dumb because you told me that Forrest Gump's like great grandfather was the founder of the Ku Klux Klan, you know? And then you're telling me that he's the guy who invented the tie-dye t-shirt. Like, like, what is, this movie's all over the place. Forrest Gump's a mess. But I think the entirety of Edward Bloom in Big Fish saying, I'm going to make sure Spectre stays because I got to Spectre too early and I got to Spectre too late. And I want to make sure this piece of the world remains where it is because it's so important to not only the people that live there, but to the people that come through there. And it's explicit. It's stated. I think this movie is not taking the easy way out of going, just make it think like you want it to be. Does that make sense? Am I making sense to you, Ben? I mean, the thing you said about Forrest Gump, I definitely, I definitely get with. It's just kind of a cop out, really. Yeah, cop out's um, a great way to put it. Thank you. Cop out is I, totally the way to put it. I, I, I don't know that I understand the comparison you're making to to Big Fish, where there's an opportunity to cop out and that they don't. Okay, I, I see where you're coming from. I, I mean, maybe it is incomparable in the sense that I, there is no opportunity to cop out. I mean, it wouldn't be quite the same thing if um. Edward Bloom just said, like, oh, you know, Spectre's doomed to fail or something. That wouldn't be quite the same thing. Maybe the closest thing is the whole idea of him reviving Spectre is what we learn why he was not 
in the kid's life, in Billy Crudup's life. Because that's a big part of Billy Crudup's thing is not only is his dad lying to him, but he does say many times, he's like, my dad wasn't even really around when I was younger. And he seems to be angry about that. And we learn that it's because Ed Bloom was trying to rebuild Spectre and make sure that that, you know, stayed preserved. Maybe the cop-out opportunity would be Will Bloom never learns why his father wasn't around when he was younger type of thing. So, I mean, it's, it's what you're saying that, like, they they give us, like, a, an honorable reason for him to not be around and they, they don't leave it open to question? Is yeah, that what Yeah, and I actually do like the moment, to, to that point, the moment you mentioned where um, uh, Helena Bonham Carter, as Jenny, you know, older Jenny, tries to kiss uh, Ewan McGregor and Ewan McGregor is like, nope, like, I am... A true to my wife man I love my wife she's the love of my life she's the one I'm indebted to and I'm sorry I made you feel this way because there also is that moment earlier on where I think Billy Crudup says to Marion Cotillard his wife something along the lines of I always thought there might be a second family that he likes better than us and we learn that there kind of is a second family but it's a different form of love sure yeah 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 I mean in, in terms of storytelling it's I'm probably always going to side with you should actually pick a side. Uh, what's, okay. what's that? Uh, is it rush? Like if you decide not to make a choice you, or you, you decide not to decide, you still need a choice. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And the choice you made was not to decide like that's, yeah, that's probably never where you want to be. Sure. Okay. Okay. That's, that's fair. Um, I do like though, in that same vein, a uh, part of the relationship between father and son in this movie that Billy Crudup does learn that, you know, he gets that story from someone who's not his father. That is, I, I do take a little issue where he, well, he has reason not to believe his father, but he just like kind of vacuously believes, oh, I found a document and then went and talked to this lady. And now I believe that, you know, with no problem type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, you know, once again, thematic resonance of the movie. I, I like that that happens. I like that he's like, oh, I do have an answer to one of my issues with my father. Even though his father still lies to him to the very end, like we talked about, at least he learns, it's like, oh, my dad was not away because he had another family. It's because he was doing this thing for a community, which he rightfully thinks is proper. I don't, actually, that's part of the movie that I think is a little left in the dark. Billy Crudup never really says, like, oh, this is great. I'm so glad he kept this town alive. Because Billy Crudup couldn't care, like, give two shits about Spectre. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I mean, at least it's, at least there's a reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is kind of an honorable, uh, an honorable thing to do, I suppose. Um, sure. But speaking of Spectre, like you, you mentioned it, like he arrives too early and then he arrives too late. Yes. Like, did did she age an amount that doesn't make sense between those two times? I don't think so. Only because okay. of that line when he meets her as an older person in the flashback. Ewan McGregor meets her as an older person. She says something like, oh, he's like, oh, my God, Jenny, you have a different last name because you were the mayor's son or whatever he says. And she's like, yeah, I got married. I was 18. He was 28. Turns out that is a big difference, you know, Um, which was the whole conversation they had when she was young, where she's like, you know, you're only 10 years older than me. And that's a big difference now, but it won't be later. And then she realizes Mm. that it is type of thing. So I don't I don't think she does age inappropriately. That might be the right way to put it. Um. But here, here's my question for you, Ben, because this is something I've never really gotten a good take on. When he, when Ewan McGregor first shows up to Spectre, they do the whole thing of, like, you're early, we were expecting you, your name's on this list type of thing. Do you think Spectre is, like, a, an allegory or a metaphor for something? Um, the, the very oversaturatedness of it, I want to throw out there because this has been a big criticism of uh, not only the Spectre scene but of Tim Burton in general – 
casting only white people <laughs> dressed in white, that type of thing. Just wanted to throw those out there to you. Do you think Spectre is like a representation of something? Uh, if it's a representation of anything, it has to be something like hell, right? Like somewhere that you're, that you're stuck without purpose. Oh, okay, okay. You, you, like you get there and it looks fantastic, but you're actually just stuck and you and your life stagnates and you essentially die. So, so I, I guess the thing that I've heard more and the thing that I've also mulled over in my head is that it's not hell, it's heaven. Because yeah, that's, that's the obvious thing that people. I, I don't, I don't buy it. Okay, okay. So because. Ewan McGregor, Will uh, Edward Bloom, doesn't want to be there because um, I think very nicely in the movie he says, you know, uh, what the witch says to him, I should say, when he leaves town is um, the only way a big fish, a fish gets that big is by never getting caught. And then he goes to Spectre and he's like, I don't want to be caught, you know, I don't want to stay here. But well, you have... just the name Spectre alone indicates death anyway. Sure. Oh, that's that's a good yes. The 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 notion of a, a Spectre. But you have the things like Norther Winslow. You have the mayor. You have um, Missy Pyle plays like the mayor's wife or something. The one who serves him pie, and they're all just like. This is perfect. Right, but Norther Winslow decides he needs to escape. That's right. Yeah, he even says, he's like, when you left Spectre, Edward, like, that opened up a whole realm of possibility to me. I went to France, I went to whatever, and now I'm robbing this place. <laughs> yeah. It, it looks like a place that ambition goes to die, and that sounds not heavenly to me. That's a good, I like that take, yeah. You, I mean, you can argue that, that ambition dies in heaven in, in a good way, but these people were clearly, at least... Our main character in Northern Winslow were clearly not okay with their ambition dying. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's definitely a hellscape, if you will. Yep, yep, I'm with you, I'm with you. Um, and yeah, I, I've also heard the whole thing of like, oh, Spectre's like all white, you know, that type of thing. And I'm like, that's just kind of Tim Burton. Like, Tim Burton has a history, a track record of not casting non-white people. Uh, but on the topic of Spectre, which I, I'm not sure if you saw in your research, it's one of those kind of like famous things that if you ever look up this movie, it, it pops up. The set of the town of Spectre, um, so the the first version of it, um, the, the good-looking version, still exists. You can actually no. go visit it in Wetumpka, Alabama. <laughs> Sounds great. I would love to actually go see it one day because I love this movie so much. I would love to go visit Spectre uh, for sure. So... Another performance we have to talk about, um, I think there's two more that I want to mention. The one that I absolutely love and that I don't often get angry uh, at the stupid notion of the Oscars or the Golden Globes, that type of thing. Specifically the Oscars. I think the Academy Awards are a bunch of old people voting on things and they suck most of the time. Uh, I think we talked briefly about the G.I. Jane joke. Yes, of course. That's a super fucking old thing. The slap, of course, yes. Um, I think... It is one the of the. Is, the joke was offensive, but only because it's bad. Yeah. Because... <laughs> sure, sure. I think the um, the performance in this movie is one of the best I've ever seen put to film. Albert Finney as old Edward Bloom. I think he is ungodly amazing throughout the entire movie. But I really want to highlight the death scene when he dies after Billy Crudup tells him the story. I feel like you literally see the light go out in his eyes. And I don't know, it's such a... I've listened to the commentary for this movie because I have it on DVD, they don't talk about it. I've seen the bonus features, they don't talk about it. I don't know if there's anywhere I'd actually be able to find out about it if, unless I actually talk to, like, you know, the actual editor of this movie or cinematographer or something. But I feel that you literally see the light go out in the eyes of Albert Finney in that death scene. I think it's one of the best death scenes I've ever witnessed. 
maybe I'm biased because a lot of the death scenes I've seen and now you've seen, Ben, are when people are dead in Law & Order SVU <laughs> and you can see them blink after they're dead and shit like that in like 10 episodes, you know? But man, Albert Finney is amazing in this movie. I think he's wonderful. Did he stand out uh, to you at all? Yeah, the death scene, yeah, for sure. I definitely got the impression that they... Uh, they kind of pulled a witch thing on us, and they went forward in time to when he died and actually just recorded him. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, and then, so, like, he was still alive after this movie was released, probably. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, not, I think he but... died nine years after the thing. He died in 2012, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, like, the, the, the scene of him dying was actually filmed nine years later than it released. <laughs> you know what, Ben? Now that you Now that you mention it, I don't remember seeing the death scene in theaters back in the day. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it was it was in the movie while it was in theaters, but it was just filmed nine years later. Well, you think they did a whole turnstiles thing? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh! Well, I'm, just, I'm just saying I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Gotcha. <laughs> he was in the box. Okay, okay. Albert Finney's just so goddamn great. I mean... Another scene that I really want to highlight is um, when he's talking to Marion Cotillard, the wife, the entirety of the story that he talks about, the dream with the crow, your daddy's gonna die. Like, I'll put the clip in. Oh, I was dreaming. What were you dreaming about? Well, I don't usually remember. Well, especially for tennis. Do you know what that word means, means when you dream about something that's going to happen. Like one night, I had a dream where this crow came and said, your aunt is going to die. I was so scared. I woke up my parents, but they said it was just a dream and to get back to bed. But the next morning, my Aunt Stacy was dead. That's terrible. Terrible for her, but think about me. Young boy with that kind of power. It wasn't three weeks later when the crow came back to me in a dream and said, your daddy's going to die. I didn't know what to do. I finally told my father, but he said, oh, not to worry, but I could see he was rattled. The next morning, he, he wasn't himself. He kept looking around, waiting for something to drop on his head. Because the crow didn't say how it was going to happen. Just those words, your daddy's going to die. Well, he left home early and was gone a long time. When he finally came back, he looked terrible, like he was waiting for the axe to fall all day. He said to my mother, I've just had the worst day of my life. You think you've had a bad day, she said. This morning, the milkman dropped dead on the porch. Because, see, my mother was banging the milkman. It is such a great performance, you know? And then especially, that's another great little fucking it's not a vignette in the sense of this movie because there's no cutaways but the whole thing where it's like your daddy's gonna die your daddy's gonna die and i never saw my daddy like that he was like he was waiting for something to fall out of the sky to see him and he comes home and he's like i've had a hell of a day and the mother goes you think you've had a day 
the mailman dropped dead on the doorstep, you know? It's a great little punchline to that story, but the way he delivers it before you know it's like a comedic story is so harrowing and so haunting, I guess is the better word. It's fantastic. Sure. Albert Finney yeah, yeah. does a great job in this movie. He should have won Best Supporting Actor. I, I did not look he up who did. He should have slapped Chris Rock. He should have <laughs> rose from his grave and slapped Will Smith after he slapped Chris Rock. Should have had a series of slaps. <laughs> a series or a sequence or a McLaurin series of slaps? A McLaurin series of slaps. <laughs> so, yes, I'm assuming you're saying McLaurin series in the sense that it's infinite, not that it's centered at zero. <laughs> I mean, it could be centered at zero. All, it could. All I don't know what that means in the case of slaps, though. I guess that's why I'm confused. <laughs> oh, well, you know, that's fine. Okay. All our students are confused, too. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. We're we're uh, we're taking a book from our students, uh, of course. So, yeah. Speaking of the um, the awards that this movie, uh, Oscars, um, I think it got a few Golden Globe nominations, but didn't win. I don't think this movie won anything. Um, the only thing this movie got a nomination for at the Oscars was Best Original Score. And I, while I like the movie uh, music in this movie, I don't think it was anything special. It's Danny Elfman, our good Oingo Boingo friend, you know, our singing voice of Jack Skellington. Um, but I don't think he's doing anything, like, outstanding in this movie. Like, the music's mm-hmm. good, but I don't think it's like, you know, oh, my God, let's, let's go crazy or anything. Tim Robbins wins Best Supporting Actor this year, which Finney would have been up for. He's not a a lead in this movie um but tim robbins wins for mystic river a movie i still have never seen it's on my list i really want to watch it uh benicio del toro in 21 grams is also nominated for that i don't think he's great in that movie uh that movie's about how the soul weighs 21 grams ben <laughs> um is that the weight that's lost on the body dies or yes something? yes that's exactly where it comes from absolutely um the the movie is actually about how naomi watts's husband dies in a car accident and he's an organ donor and his heart is put into sean's pen's body and then they fall in love so it's the idea of like do you fall in love with a person or with their soul um it's actually kind of okay it's not the worst movie i think i gave it three stars okay ben the next performance i want to talk about is one Another one that we have to talk about where it comes from or where we know her from, the wife in this movie. Billy Crudup's pregnant wife is played by Marion Cotillard. Do you remember what Patreon movie we saw her in much more recently than Match Dickman? I'm having a hard time picturing her face at the moment. Okay. Once again, styled very differently, but she is the animus scientist in Assassin's Creed. Oh, yeah. yeah, she's the one who wants to find the Apple of Eden, and then, of course, who, you know, Jeremy Irons gets killed, and she's like, I will avenge you, Dad, you know, that type of thing. But, yep, that's Marion Cotillard. She get killed. Yes, yes, this is my fault, you know. Um, yeah. I, uh, I want to mention, because we talked about it a lot, and this is another plug for our Patreon, uh, everybody go listen to, or subscribe to our Patreon to listen to our Assassin's Creed episode, where Rob and Ben get into this fully, but she is a 9-11 truther. <laughs> um, and this is actually her first English language film role. So she's French. Um, she was in um, she was in a TV show. She's in the Highlander TV show, actually, in English in 1993. But this is the first time that she actually uh, is speaking English 
in a, a, a full feature-length film. But no, Marion Cotillard's doing fine in this movie. I actually think it's fun when she has her scenes with um, Albert Finney. Like I said, the um, your daddy's gonna die story, the whole dinner table scene where, you know, Billy Crudup's cutting him off and it's like, well, you know, did you know my wife is actually, like, she went to the Congo or whatever the hell he says and yeah. it's like that type of thing and she's like, you know, She's actually, like, egging him on with the story. He's like, did you know in the Congo that the birds speak this language? And she's like, oh, no, tell me more, you know, that type of thing. She's yeah. she's fun. I love it. <laughs> uh, it's it's French, isn't it? Isn't, he, doesn't, isn't she like the birds speak French? She, yeah, he day? might say French. Yeah, he might say French. Absolutely. Yep. Um, because at the start of this movie, when Billy Crudup gets the letter at his publishing company, it's they're, like, in France, I'm pretty sure. There's, like, a, I think. I don't think the movie's this bad, but I'm imagining in a worse version, you know, they'd be like, how do we tell them they're in French? Oh, there's a shot of Billy Crudup sitting at a desk. There's a window behind them. The Eiffel Tower's in the window. I don't think it's that bad, but I think it's kind of close. Yeah, baguette. <laughs> there's a baguette, yes, yes. The Arc de Triomphe is just their apartment. <laughs> they live in the Arc de Triomphe, yes. <laughs> I, I want to mention... Uh, as a great moment in this movie, because we just brought it, the dinner scene when Albert Finney's, you know, at the head of the table. The other head of the table is Marion Cotillard, which I think is very interesting. But then Billy Crudup and the mother are on the two sides of them. Um, I don't know if you picked up on this, Ben, but this is one of the moments where I'm like, there's actually something interesting directing-wise going on because, well— I don't think it's because Tim Burton's a good director. I think this is an instance of Tim Burton got lucky. If you go back and watch that scene, you, Ben, or anybody in the cinema audience, that that dinner table scene, I'm sorry I don't have a timestamp, but in that moment, every single time a character is speaking, the camera will cut to a shot of that character, but it'll be from an angle. So whenever Billy Crudup, Marion Cotillard, or Jessica Lange, the mother, old Sandra Templeton, whenever they're speaking, the camera will be, like, at an angle to them, like, not head-on. But whenever Albert Finney speaks, it is head-on. And I think that's an actually interesting directing choice of showing how in Albert Finney's own head he is. Because when you get the, the you know, angled camera shots of all the other characters, you can see that there's other people at the table. Like Billy Crudup, you know, you can see Marion Cotillard's like half of her body. When like Jessica Lange is shot, you can see half of, you know, Albert Finney's body. But when Albert Finney's speaking, it's shot in such a way that he's the only one in frame. Not even like peripheral other people are in frame. And it's an sure. actually interesting cinema, uh, cinematographic choice to show you that when he's telling his stories, even though his son's cutting him off, he's still that in his own head. At least that's how I he's take the, it. He's the center of attention. He's the center of attention. That's a really good way to put it. And like I said, I think Tim Burton got lucky. <laughs> sure. Um, but I, I love that. I love that moment. I love that dinner table scene and. You know, even the punchline on that thing is where, you know, Albert Finney says the whole speech, a whole spiel about the birds speaking that language. And then, you know, Billy Crudup says something like, oh, well, you know, my wife went there last year. And Albert Finney goes, oh, well, then you know all about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's some uh, fun I, stuff. It would have been great if he was just like, I actually don't give a fuck. Oh, my God. I'm, right. I'm telling this story. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing I found in my notes that I want to mention because it's another great fact I love about this movie. Um, in the the childhood scene when they are 
sneaking up to the witch's house. So it's the two Price brothers, it's Edward Bloom, and it's the little girl Ruthie. I don't remember her last name. They, what, the Price brothers dare Edward. They're like, go up and talk to her. If you're so, you know, you're so tough, that type of thing, get her eye, steal her eye. And Edward's like, I'll do it, you know. I'm a big boy now, type of thing. And the little girl says, Edward, don't. That's her only line in the movie. Did that little girl look familiar to you at all, Ben? No. Okay. This is the first ever TV, movie, or otherwise on-screen appearance of Miley Cyrus. First ever? How could she look familiar to me? This is the first time she's ever been on TV, Rob. Could she... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you didn't watch this in 2003, Ben. I know you've seen a, you've seen a, what is that? It's Hannah Montana. I know you've watched, don't, am I blowing up your spot? You've watched every season of Hannah Montana? <laughs> yeah, I'm really Montana. Uh, but yeah, that is, that is Miley Cyrus, and she's credited as not Miley Cyrus, because that's not actually her real name. Do you know Miley Cyrus's birth name? No. Destiny Cyrus. <laughs> what? What did she changed it from Destiny to Miley. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Destiny Cyrus sounds pretty bad, but... I don't know. Destiny Cyrus... Uh, I was about to say it sounds pretty cool, but you're right. When I thought about it for more than a second, that sounds like a porn star name. Like Destiny, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, okay, you're right. But yeah, so everybody, if next time you watch Big Fish, uh, that fish is big, uh, the little girl who has one line of dialogue, Edward, don't! That is Miley Cyrus. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Big fish too. Bigger fish. Bigger fish. Bigger. Bigger. Fi- <laughs> what about big fisher? <laughs> too big, two fish. Of course, too big, have, two fish. Got to yeah. throw that out. Of course, as as we always do. We love that throwing the twos at the start in the middle. Big fish too. Big fish boogaloo. Um, oh, too big, two fish is actually a movie about somebody who sinks boats. Yes. Too fat to get on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Two big two fish, yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. I'm I'm going through my notes again. I think that might have been everything. I'm sure there's something I'm missing about this movie. This is one of those things where if we actually dove into it like scene by scene, I would just dissect it like crazy. But Ben, was there anything else you wanted to highlight about the uh, that fish is big? <laughs> uh, that's a pretty big fish. That's a that's, pretty big fish. Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, that's she's a beaut. She is yeah. a beaut. She is a beaut. Uh, right on. Oh, I found this in my notes I want to mention. Uh, I love this the line of delivery. It's at the start of that same scene with Miley Cyrus. Sorry, Destiny Cyrus. Edward Bloom is starting to narrate, like Ewan McGregor starting to narrate, and at the start of the story he says, Now, it's common knowledge that all towns of a certain size have a witch. And I watched that, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I, I watched that even on this for this rewatch, for this recording. I watch it, even though I've seen this movie like a hundred times. I'm like... Yeah, I fucking love this movie. Like, that that just hits a chord with me so well, you know? Like, he's just like, you know, fuck you. Don't ask questions. Here's the setup for my story, you know? Deal with it. <laughs> um, that reminds me, I think it's in Wicked, where they say something about, like, she has a mom and a dad like most people do. Oh, yeah, um, yep, yep, yeah. yep. Makes me think of, um. there's a Cold War Kids line where he says, you know, the sun rises like it almost always does. <laughs> uh they hung in the air much the way bricks do not. Ah, nice, nice. Yeah, that's um, uh. Any anyway, yeah. I found a I, I found another note. Um, it's the story of it's the first story of Edward Bloom's life, where the baby gets shot out of the woman's vagina at such a force that it has crazy momentum and slides down the hallway. Oh yeah, that's a yeah, fantastic that's moment. <laughs> that's unhygienic. Um, the 
<laughs> yes, very uh, unhygienic. <laughs> I, I think uh, you, you kind of got off the topic, but I want to bring it back. I, yeah, I yeah. want to assert that it's not actually Miley Cyrus, that Billy Ray Cyrus had a different daughter named Destiny. Oh. And then when she died, they they kidnapped Miley Cyrus, and they uh, they just they couldn't call her Destiny because they they missed their little girl too much. See, so ben, they just found someone who looked like her. See Ben, that's why I love your jokes because you could have taken the easy way and said, "Well, no, Rob, that's not Miley Cyrus. That's Hannah Montana." But you were like, "No, let me throw you three sentences <laughs> <laughs> I mean, about a dead I, child." I appreciate, you, I appreciate you think that that qualifies as a joke. Um, but, but no, I, I definitely, that, that's what actually happened. So, uh, that's fair. You know, Ben, I don't, I don't think, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, when Ben and I do these episodes, this is for the cinema audience and, and Ben, I want to blow up your spot. I'll bleep it out. Once I say it, if you want me to bleep it out, I will. But, um, the thing where Ben's always like, oh, Rob knows all the actors. He knows all the stories about like the movie industry. Um, I'm doing that. Because Ben can't. Like, Ben has so many NDAs. Like, Ben, I don't even know how you were able to say that Dan- you know Danny DeVito's a werewolf. I mean, that might have to be bleeped out. Like, you know the Hollywood stories no one can talk about, which is kind of crazy. So I'm trying to pick up the slack over here. <laughs> yeah, that's it is true. I um, I have signed away much of, of you know, the, the fun things that I, that I would like to talk about. <laughs> Um, the Danny DeVito thing, actually, um, he didn't make me sign an NDA. Danny DeVito's really cool. Okay, okay. You're just on that good of terms with Danny DeVito? I, he actually didn't even know me before that happened. Um, but he was just a, a chill dude, you know? Nice. I, I came I, at him. I started blasting. He started blasting. It was a good time. Um, yeah. He started being the trash man. I started being the trash man. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. No, Danny DeVito's fantastic, and I'm glad you know him, Ben. Um, uh, which is now makes me very confused as to why uh, you were not involved with the Danny DeVito series. Unfortunately, maybe that maybe that was the NDA. Um, another thing I wanted to mention as I'm going through my notes, we mentioned it, but I want to talk about how goofy it is. The montage of you and McGregor being successful in heroic in Ashton when he's young, like he makes the touchdown, he makes the winning shot in the basketball game. Fuck, doesn't he, like, save a cat from a tree at a certain point, you know? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's so goofy, and I love it. Oh, speaking of Steve Buscemi, this is another great moment. When we get the shot of um, uh, Ewan McGregor and the mayor, like, dancing at the Spectre party in that evening that he shows up to Spectre, you can see Steve Buscemi, like, bouncing around in the background. <laughs> yeah. He's, like, poking his head in. That's so much fun. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful movie. It's a beautifully shot movie. I think this movie looks really good. Uh, I think it's a, a fantastic, you know, idea for a film. I love me some vignette movies. I know back when Zach and I did Unexpected Love, however long ago, three, two, three years ago, whatever it was, Adventures in Babysitting is one I picked because I love that movie. That's very vignette Ben, I'm not sure if you're aware, but that movie actually has the first live-action depiction of Thor in it, and it's played by Vincent D'Onofrio who is, of course, Kingpin from uh, the uh, Daredevil show. But this is a great movie. I love it overall. It's unexpected that I love it. I don't really know why I love it. I hope I laid out some of the details of, you know, why I think I love it. But, man, this movie strikes a chord with me that, uh, that you know, the others in my top ten do. And um, there's some on my top ten list that I hope we can get to one day. We've done a lot of them. You know, Spirited Away we've covered, Odd Sack we've covered. Um, searching we've done on the Patreon. Everybody go check out the Patreon. Oh, my number 12, Ben, is Anomalisa, which I think is the best stop-motion movie of all time. 
we I think have, we're doing that soon. We sh- we really need to do that soon. Uh, it's such a beautiful day. Don Hertzfeld, it's such a beautiful day. The uh, the stick figure animated movie where I think I've told you before, Ben, that he, he literally animates stick figures on crumpled pieces of paper at like sixes for very thematic purposes. Uh, revolvers on there. You know, the Guy Ritchie revolver movie that makes no sense. I love that one. And, uh, of course, we will come back to Southland Tales one day. Because we've only done the can cut. We haven't done the theatrical cut. So everybody buckle the fuck up whenever that happens. Ben, any final thoughts on Big Fish or uh, Unexpected Love from Rob's perspective? Yeah, because, of course, next week we'll get to uh, your next Unexpected Love, which I don't want to give away yet. Um, but that, uh, I think, is going to be a contentious episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all I have to say is, is damn, that fish is big. I agree. Well, with that being said, that's a great end to the story. Are you ready for our questions? Yes, I am. Okay, well, I'll start. It's unexpected love for me. I think it's no surprise where I'm coming from. I think this is absolutely a cinemodity. I think any movie that does things that I usually shit on and usually really despise in films that works so well for me is by technicality a cinemodity. It's a rare thing to happen. And I also think it's a cinemodity for the reasons that it is a an anomaly in Tim Burton's career. He's never made a movie like this. Maybe if you want to compare Pee-wee's Big Adventure, because that's a road movie that has a lot of vignettes. I don't think they're the same thing, though. But I think for those reasons, I would consider it a cinemodity. And of course, I think it just might be an absolute that if you love a movie, it is a late-night movie. Absolutely, this is a late-night movie for me. This falls into the category that I've used before for other things I absolutely love, and I've also used for The Matrix. I usually say, Ben, when I'm choosing a late-night movie, it's usually because I want to show somebody something, like I want to get their reaction or I want to spur a good discussion, but there is a subset of movies that I will put on because I want to watch them and I don't give a fuck what anybody else does. This is one of those movies. If I'm in the mindset where I'm like, I want to watch Big Fish and I have control over the movie I choose, I don't care if you're on your phone. I don't care if you want to leave the room and go to bed. I don't care what you do. I want to watch Big Fish as a late-night movie. So I'm basically saying 100% absolutely to both. But now, here's the fun stuff. Ben, what do you think for this movie for Cinemodities and Late Night? I, I'll definitely give it a... It is a Cinemodity. Um, I mean, you, you gave some compelling reasons just with regards to Tim Burton's career. Sure. Um, but I I think it is odd in in that it's, um, you know, the vignettes and the the... The fish is really big and stuff. Like normally, fishes aren't that big. <laughs> I would have just giggled at that joke, but you adding normally fishes aren't that big. So like, you said it almost didactically, like you were teaching our audience. Like, listen, everybody, fishes are usually this big, and I'm doing the hand motions. But this fish was this big, and that's like, that's like on the tails of the bell curve. Okay. <laughs> normally fish aren't that big you're right you're right i don't know why i'm laughing at this point because you're so right (laughs) uh late night movie i think i think this opinion might offend you a little bit Um, actually no it kind of it kind of fits with with your you know what you said about it that you don't care what what other people are doing if you don't mind me going to sleep i will watch this movie late at night with you (laughs) nice nice i like that i like that if ben's like if you're with rob and he really wants to watch a movie let him put this one on so you can go to bed (laughs) yes 
you're just like, please, Rob, let's just watch a 15-minute YouTube video. And Rob's <laughs> like, no, I need a two-hour romance movie. <laughs> it's 1 a.m. and I need to scream, Sandra Templeton, I love you and I will marry you. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, just uh, if you if you are having trouble sleeping at night and you need to put on a movie <laughs> to help you sleep, either this will help you sleep or you'll probably kind of enjoy it because it's a, it's a decent movie, but it is yeah, slow enough yeah. that you see, can fall asleep during it. See, Ben, I know what you're saying, but you do have to acknowledge that if you fall asleep about an, like 45 or sometime before the hour mark, because I think it's like the hour five mark, maybe a little early in an hour, you will be woken up by me screaming along with the movie, Sandra Templeton, I love you and I will marry you. Or, or earlier than that, Whoever's watching this movie with me, I will shake them awake, and they'll go, what? What's happening? I'll go, this is my associate, Mr. Saki Bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll go, and in, this, in, your, in your post-sleep stupor, you'll go, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, I, I think you have plenty of experience waking me up to tell me shit like this during movies. Definitely. Uh, I, I, I suspect that uh, for a while I tried to be nice and, and be like, yeah, okay. And then I'm sure at some point in the, later I was just like, God. God, leave you're me right. the fuck alone. No, you're absolutely right. But I, now I'm I'm angry at myself. I'm struggling to remember what I have literally – because I know you're so right. It's fucking happened. We've been on your couch. You've been asleep. I've fucking grabbed your foot and shaken it like a madman <laughs> and said something, like a random quote to you. And I can't – you know what comes to fucking mind? Which you were awake for, which is making me even angrier that I can't remember when you were asleep for. When I when that fucking Milky Chance song came on on Pandora and I tried to dislike it and you had already liked it and I just like went into your room and I looked at you and I went, excuse me for having a fucking opinion. <laughs> and you were like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. <laughs> Why can't I remember in the sleep ones? God damn it. I, they were they were at my first apartment most likely. Yeah, yeah. God. That is where I did most of the sleeping during movies. I can't remember. Oh, my God. Every movie I remember we watched there was movies you were awake for. Like, 30 days a night you stayed awake for. Like, there was no way I shook you awake and went, God? No, God. No, God. Um, (laughs) We we stayed awake through all of the goods. Live live hard, sell hard. Oh, yeah. Um, Which we, Ben, you and I have to cover one day. That movie's so fucking funny. He's talking about karaoke, you fucking queers! That fucking... <laughs> <laughs> um, God, I'm remembering all the movies we stayed awake for. Dude, we fucking stayed awake for all five of the Final Destination yeah. movies. <laughs> yeah. Those were uh, watchable. Jesus Christ. That's... Okay, I'm going to rack my brain when I edit this, because I have to edit it very quickly. Um, when I edit this, I'm going to write down... If if I don't remember it when I edit this, I'm gonna put it in our five year extravaganza thing that you and okay. I have to fucking try and remember what I shook you awake to yell at you for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean I'm down to try to remember it. It's uh, it was definitely frustrating. Yes, <laughs> fucking yes. Rob, I'm trying to sleep. Snacks. Are you ready for snacks, Ben? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm ready I, for snacks. I want to start with um. I have two that are not food related. Okay. Uh, one is uh in the um. Korean War scene. So when you you and McGregor, you know, is taking all the dangerous assignments to uh, cut his uh, enlistment time short, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. When he does the skydiving um, segment, you know, when he when he actually tells the his like superior to wait and counts down, it's a badass moment. But like 
in reality that you're probably getting court-martialed for that or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. But he fakes his own death, so it's he's considered, you know, um, dead in the war type of thing. But right. at the start, when he jumps off the plane, before we see the Siamese, uh, or sorry, conjoined twins, we see this k- Korean ventriloquist who is, like, the worst. <laughs> like, his lips are moving. No one in the army seems to be enjoying it. I would love to have him perform at the restaurant. <laughs> Solid. Um, maybe, like, a weekly thing, maybe a monthly, whatever. But I would love, because we have a stage, we have a stage where performances can happen. I would love to just add that to the uh, roster. Um, sure. Uh, another non-food item I have is um, in the in the forest scene, I think it's when Edward Bloom, Ewan McGregor, is, like, walking to Spectre. I don't think it's when he's, when he's walking back from Spectre. When he's walking to Spectre, like, a bird f- swoops down and steals his hat. I would like to establish a rule in the restaurant, and this is a very religious rule. It's like a church rule, and I think you know what I mean. No hats type of thing from customers. Okay. And if the customer wears a hat, we train our own birds to swoop down and steal their hats. And I I like this idea because the restaurant is an infinite void that we've already talked about having birds trapped in it. So why not train them to snag headwear off of our customers? And I would like to go even further with this. And it's not just like, oh, we say no baseball caps, you know, and this loser comes in with a baseball cap, you know, whatever. I'm talking yarmulkes. I'm talking burkas. I'm talking a steadfast, uh, is it a burka or hajib, whatever. I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody. I don't know my terminology for religious headwear, but we're going to say steadfast. If you don't take it off, a bird's taking it off. What do you think? (laughs) I'm here for it as long okay. as it only applies to customers because I only customers. I'm definitely yeah I'm, I'm definitely if I want to wear a hat I'm probably gonna wear a hat yes and I also know that we have wait staff that are in like big costumes that have like headgear and stuff we don't want yeah. that to come off at all so no, so yeah it's no just customers because um fuck them um because you know now I'm laughing at the fact could you imagine a bird going to town on like a headdressing like a Muslim headdressing. I won't say the word again because I'm getting it wrong, but the bird would have to work for that. Like a baseball cap, a beret, a, a yarmulke. Like the bird can swoop down and grab it. Like the sure. bird has to get some, like, you know, under the chin action going on to take off a full <laughs> headdressing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to take a lot of work to train these birds. So all I'm saying is I'm probably not going to... Uh, be volunteering to do that. Oh, no, 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 none of us. None of the owners. You, Zach, and I, we're going to hire someone or force someone to do it. Uh, you know, we don't hire people. Um, but now I'm also thinking someone posts to Snapchat or YouTube. It's like a video of in our restaurant, a woman or any person with like a full headdressing is being basically attacked by a bird. And they're going, oh, my God, get this bird off me. And in the background, you can see and hear our waitstaff going, it's not a bug. It's a feature. Take it off. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bug. It's a feature. It's nice. I'm here for it. I like it. Oh, So those are my two non-food items. Did you have any non-food items? Or what did you have at the restaurant? I don't want to constrain you, but I got one other thing, But because I have very little for this movie because I'm focused on the movie. What do you got for the restaurant? Uh, I Big sushi. Ooh. Expand it, or clarify for me, please. What do you, I mean, what do we, you mean by big sushi? We, we're going to turn a big fish into big sushi. Would the sushi be normal sized? No, the sushi is also big. The sushi is also big. Okay, okay. So you're talking like a massive. Are you talking like sushi rolls or like um what's it N- nigiri? The one where it's like the fish slice on top of rice. You know what I mean? Uh, it definitely rolls is what okay. I was thinking. Okay. I mean, we could expand, but 
Uh, I'm definitely thinking like we get giant ass rice paper or seaweed. That's yeah, what you yeah. used to roll sushi. And uh, yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta take a big fish and you cut it into small pieces and then you make big sushi out of it. We we need to have a place where so like you're talking about stealing people's hats. We gotta steal people's yes. shoes also. Ooh, oh, and throwing them, tying them together, throwing over the uh, clothesline. Absolutely. Right, and then yeah. but we also have to only use that to indicate places that people are selling drugs because that's what it means in the big cities. What do you think about this? What do you think about, you know how, like, play places back in the day, like McDonald's, Burger King, that type of stuff, they'd have that little, like, cubby where, like, the kids would take their shoes off? What if in the Sin Emodities portion of the restaurant, since we have very much, like, play play style things, um, uh, not to, you know, uh, misrepresent the others or leave the others out, but the one I always think of is the bone pit. It's not a ball pit. It's a pit of bones, like human bones. Um, you got to take your shoes off. And what if instead of having a cubby for the kids' shoes, we make the kids take their shoes off, tie the laces, and throw them over, like, a line, you know? <laughs> we just steal their shoes? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's got to be, like, kids out there with cancer that need shoes that we could say we're helping, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I For some reason, when you started that, when you said there's got to be kids out there with cancer that need shoes, I thought you meant... Kids with cancer would come into our restaurant and say, I can't take off my shoes because I have cancer. And I was like, Ben, where the fuck are you going with this? It's like, like, what does that mean? It's like kids in Africa that, you know, they they apparently need the food that I'm not going to finish. But you're saying we donate the shoes. Is that why we we tell people we donate the shoes? Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I was very confused. Um, okay, no, that's great. I, I love that whole idea that we're collecting children's shoes for a reportedly good cause. Yes. Because I'm with you, Ben. There's no joke to make other than kids with cancer need shoes. Um, <laughs> they probably need uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know what happens to you when you get cancer, but I'm sure you don't stop needing shoes. I think we should go even further and say that we, we, we take these children's shoes and send them to deserted islands. So when people get washed Ooh. up ashore, they have shoes okay. to work with. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, that's great. You know, prepare for the uh, inevitable. I would also love to see someone stranded on an island and a fucking, like, plane drops off shoes but does not rescue them. I think there's a great <laughs> sketch somewhere in there, you know? <laughs> Send help. Send shoes. And they drop uh, shoes. Think, and they're, they're, they're children's uh, shoes for a 30-year-old Tom Hanks and Castaway. <laughs> I, I'm fairly certain that at some point I'm going to grow irritated with the amount of shoes that we put on desert, desert islands that haven't gotten to get used, and I'm going to start putting people on deserted <laughs> islands. Perfect. <laughs> like, from the restaurant. Like, I'm just going to ship them, you know? Yeah, there you go. All the people, when they build up in our infinite void, if that's possible, um, when they get too dense in certain areas of the infinite void, maybe is a better way to say it, uh, we go, it's like, okay, everybody, you want to trip out of here. It's not back to, you know, Times Square, New York City, where the restaurant is. It's to a deserted island. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, in, in like we we gotta we gotta remember where we put the shoes of different sizes so we can send adults to children islands and <laughs> children to adult shoe islands. It's like at least with the kids, like they might grow into those shoes, you know. But with the adults, it's just like, ah, fuck you. <laughs> uh, so my last thing for the restaurant, my actual food item, uh, goes back to the uh, the cans of ensure the um. 
the sure, pediatric. Yeah. I think insure is for pediatric, but they give it to elderly as well. I don't. I, I might not. It it's, might... it's just a no. Insure is just like a. It's a calorie dense drink. Sure. Okay. okay. That is for people who are having trouble eating. It's it's not for children. Should I say room. instead of saying sure? Should I say ensure? But since in this movie it is given to old Albert Finney because he needs his calories and his energy, like Ben just said, um, I think that when. Groups of people sit down at tables, so like, you know, when they go from uh, the entrance and host or hostess area of the restaurant to being sat at a table, usually what restaurants do and what our restaurant does is, um, you know, bring water to the table. For any customer that the waitstaff deems to be elderly, they don't bring water, they bring a can of Ensure. (laughs) That's my thought. (laughs) It's a good way to insult some people. Uh, Yep, Um, and I think that's totally on brand. Like if you ha- if you have someone who's just being like a real Karen. Oh sure, yeah. Like yeah. you you look like you need insure. I'm all know? I'm th- yeah I'm thinking from pure sight like before the wait waiter or waitress even look like talks to the person like just pure oh. sight be like you look too old you know it's like the reverse thing of like when You're you too work and in- sit down <laughs> you better lay down <laughs> you better lay down I think we have standing coffins as a seating <laughs> thing in our restaurant. So anybody who sta- who sits or stands in a coffin gets an insure. Um, that's that's really good. Uh, now I'm just thinking the whole thing of like you know, it's like the reverse when you work in retail and sell cigarettes. It's like you don't have to check their ID if they look older than X years old, and like who fucking knows what that looks like. But older here at the restaurant, we we train our staff to be like if they look older than thirty, give them an insure instead of a water. <laughs> uh, they might not make it out of here alive, and we want to make sure they die off of our property. <laughs> Which you can't get off of our property, but you know. What is. Yep, absolutely. Um, anything else for the restaurant, Ben? No, I, th- I think that we have talked sufficiently okay. about, yeah. about these things. I hope people like our rants. I think our rants are fun. They've been sprinkled in in this episode. And speaking of rants, if you like what you've heard, not only the actual like intellectual thematic discussion of this movie which we do very well ben if you like that and us going off on random things and laughing at each other's jokes you should totally check out the patreon it's www.patreon.com slash not only will you hear this in the episodes when we discuss movies on patreon but we release specific episodes dedicated to us going off on rants there's only two of them right now but i just edited a whole backlog of them and i think uh, we'll get definitely at least one more this year ben uh what do you want to say about the patreon this year rob it's april um yeah we might get two (laughs) patreon is a is a good good fun time you can come there you can you can donate to the cause yes of keeping the podcast alive as it is uh ben's probably going to need a new mic eventually uh since his audio quality sucks (laughs) so if you want to help pay for that uh the patreon is a good place to do it Absolutely. I I just want to say, uh, for advertising purposes, if, when you are listening to this, you sign up for the Patreon, the most recent episodes that you will hear are Ben and I discussing The Other Frozen. If you liked our discussion of Frozen 2013 last week, you can also sign up for the Patreon to hear Frozen 2010. Uh, That's a very fun discussion. I get really angry at, at a lot of that movie. But also, a fan request. Ben and I discuss Zero Effect. Which we have, uh, we have some fun with, and uh, you too can check out the Patreon and make requests. You can force Ben and I to watch movies as long as they don't cover anything related to Beverly Hills Cop. I always have to mention that. <laughs> right on, Ben. What else would you like to pitch? Uh, as always, um, 
Edward Bloom liked to keep track of his life through stories. But it turns out that Ben has a different way to keep track of his life. I also, I, I've been doing this for like a month now. I think it's like four episodes. I think of the weirdest way to introduce your advertisement, Ben. <laughs> I, I'm for it. I like it. Yeah, if you need to keep track of your life and stories just aren't cutting it, you can download the, the Life Counter application. Um, I, it is an application that helps you and your friends play magic and helps you keep track of how you do against your friends and how you do against various decks in the meta, etc. If you want statistics, this is the app for you. Come check it out. And as but always... Before you talk about the affiliate link, uh, just yes. about the app, I want to say, would you, would you go as far to say that if one of your friends or possibly your parent plays Magic the Gathering with you and comes at you with a tall tale about a game you played, your app allows for the hard facts to be thrown in their face. Uh, it absolutely does. That's wonderful. It, That's wonderful, it Ben. Does. Yeah, we can see value by value change by value change history. If only Billy Crudup had an app to call his dad's bullshit out. <laughs> that's that's right, and you can you can call out your friends. Um, that's totally true, and you can definitely rub it in their faces that you win more than they do. Um, you know, just record the games using my app, and you will have history forever, or until you delete the app. Your best pitch when you started one of these pitches, because we've you've been talking about it for a while, of course, on Cinemodity's main feed and um, and the Patreon feed. Um, the best thing you ever did, which I I want to reiterate, you should keep doing, is that you said to me once. You, well, you said to our cinema audience, of course. You said you can download my app for no extra mana. It, something <laughs> along those lines. That was great. That's the that's the pitch right there. As goofy as I get with trying to tie it into whatever we just fucking discussed, that type of thing. That is that should be like the tagline for your app, you know? <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad you brought that up because that actually uh, was probably related to the affiliate code. Yes. Where you can you can use my affiliate code. You can actually use a link that's provided in the app or probably in the show notes to go to a website called TCG Player where you can buy all of your trading card game playing needs uh and you can you can buy them for no extra mana uh and i will get a kickback for sending them your business so use my affiliate code you'll support me uh and you'll get the things you were going to buy anyway it's a win-win do it do it everybody you know what i want to throw out another thing i don't know if i've mentioned this before in re relation to your affiliate link but you know i've been doing it for a while now i want to highlight that other people should if you need a really cool mouse pad, don't buy a mouse pad. Buy a gaming playmat. I've been using some of my old Yu-Gi-Oh! playmats as mouse pads. They're big. They're comfortable. They look way fucking cooler than any stupid mouse pad you can buy. I would say, everybody, if you want to be as cool as Rob and use a gaming playmat for a mouse pad, head on over to that affiliate link for the, the TCG player um, in the show notes and buy one so you can use it as a mouse pad. I think that is some dope shit. <laughs> oh, I have to agree. They make great mouse pads. Well, then, Ben, I think um, we don't we don't want to give away what we're discussing next week. The audience knows that it will be an unexpected love movie. Um, we're swip we're switching off, so it's kind of you know the cat's out of the bag that you know you don't have to guess is it going to be Rob's love or Ben's love. It's Ben's love next week. It's a movie that in turn I had never seen before. Um, and uh, I can't wait to get to it. I think it's going to be a good discussion because I have some fun history about that movie that I think Ben is unaware of. But it's it's going to be good. 
So, Ben, I think that brings us to the final thing, of course, is how do we end this episode? And I have a prime candidate. In the scene when Ewan McGregor, uh, young Edward Bloom, goes to Sandra Templeton's college for the first time, and he's ready to show up. He shows up with just a bouquet of daffodils and is ready to win her over. We hear the song... Every day by Buddy Holly. Every day things are getting closer, going mm-hmm. faster than a roller coaster. I love that song. song. I love it Great because song. of this movie. I, I can only imagine I found out about it because of this movie. And I think that's what we should play in reverse. What do you think? Um I'm with it. That's a great song. Yes, it should sound really, really cool. And um, and and Buddy Holly is a great artist. Uh, Buddy Holly. We should get more of his music involved in here. That'd be a weird song screed if we did an artist from the '50s, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, I think then Ben, with all that out of the way, we finished this episode. It's a great cap. Our second of the month for unexpected love. We're plowing through it. I think there's only one thing left to say. Fish don't usually get that big. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm glad that tickled you up.